It's your host, Tom Robin from the Talking Chair Podcast, and today I have a special guest. This segment here is all about the journey to self-love, and I have special guests, like I said, uh, one, Mr. Benny Blanco. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing very well. Doing very well. It's an honor to speak with you and to uh, have you tell your story. Um, I've met Mr. Blanco indirectly, but directly, over a new trending app online called Stereo. Stereo, it's a stereo app out there, and if you guys are unfamiliar with it, go check it out. It's just as it sounds. It's a stereo app. I'm not going to advertise and say any more than that. So, Vin. <laughs> yes, sir. Tell us about you, man. Tell us about your story. And as they say, get it off the chest. Okay. Um, well, um, I am a 29-year-old content creator as well as a singer-songwriter. Um, I am originally from Philadelphia. Um, okay. Currently in the South Jersey area by way of New York City. And just moved down here about a year ago. Um, and uh, I am a mental health advocate. So I tend to use my platform to talk about important conversations, um, to promote people to do some introspection and really start to look in, within. I think that, you know, organizations, especially within this last year with the pandemic going on and, you know, um, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement that's been going on within the last couple of years, I think that it's so important that we um, always take the time out to kind of like be able to step back and um, look at ourselves and see what we can change within us first before we right. try to tackle on some of life's bigger challenges. Um, because I think that a lot of times in life, especially within my own personal life experience, I realized that most of the time, well, not most of the time, but a lot of times, um, we're our own obstacle course. And we <laughs> end up being Certainly. our uh, greatest obstacle course, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, I've been on my own personal journey towards self-love, inner peace, and spiritual restoration for the last couple of years. And um, when I was able to allow myself to stop being so distracted um, by some of life's pleasures and, and distractions, um, I was able to kind of, like, pay attention to my growth process a little bit more and, and pick up on lessons that I had forgotten. Because I think that a lot of times um, within life, we, we fail to realize that the growing process is, is supposed to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that when we allow ourselves to to seek other ways to kind of numb that growing process, um, we miss out on some, some important information and some important lessons that we had to get. And I realized that at 29, um, I had been stunted in my growth in ways that I didn't know, um, thanks to the work that I started doing within me through introspection. Um, and self-reflection. I started working at a mental health facility earlier in the year, um, and it changed my life. I got to learn about trauma and kind of be able to understand the effects of trauma and how that affects how people view the world and their uh, perception and perspective. 
um, right. and how it affects how they communicate and interact with other people um, and how they interact with themselves as well. Um, and really just learning both just that important um, piece of information really allowed me to kind of a, be able to let go of a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain that, you know, I had experienced in my life, whether it be, you know, from family or whether it be from, you know, past failed love interests or, mm-hmm. um, or just misunderstandings or misconceptions that I had um, about love and about life um, that I had, um, you know, achieved through my own level of of misunderstanding and, and misperception as far as like, the world at large is concerned. Um, and that has saved my life. I mean, um, I wake up a little bit easier every day in the morning um, because I've learned how to unpack um, issues that I, I know that I have for sure, um, but also issues that were imparted to me through other, to, uh, through other people, through their negative energy. Um, and... Um, I didn't know that I had been doing all this internalizing um, throughout my life as a kid, even from just childhood, um, until I understood that I was an empath. Um, and what an empath means is to um, be so supernaturally sensitive to other people's energy that you kind of take on their emotions, you take on their energy as your own. Um, right. But when you're growing up in the world um, and you don't have this type of information um, privy to you, end up living a lifelong um, journey of, um, you know, having your own problems but also internalizing a world of different issues that don't belong to you. Um, mm-hmm. And at 29, as I, as I approach my 30s, I'll be 30 um, April next year. Um, as I approach my 30s, I really have made it um, my main priority to make sure that I am unpacking those issues and really understanding who I am um, and getting to know me a little bit more because I realized that a lot of things that I thought, a lot of things that I felt, a lot of things that I I understood weren't my own <laughs> understanding, <laughs> weren't my own uh, perceptions or, or uh, perspectives. They were all things that were imparted to me um, by other people through their negative energy or, or, through, the, or, through, this, or, or through their just um, their perspective. Um, in general, um, so, so you um, was indoctrinated into a lot of things, and, and, and you didn't question them as you know, as as you were yeah. coming up. Absolutely, because I mean, I wasn't taught to question. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that, especially within you know, our, you know, the the black community, I think that you know, it's slavery mentality is such a real concept, and um, it's so intricately woven within the fabric of the way that we deal with our family dynamics that a lot of times... What, what in specific are, are you referring to when you say slavery mentality? Or, or that we, that, that's woven into us? More so of like, I feel that, well, at least within, within my own personal experience and the experiences that I've witnessed um, by my friends and, and um, stories that, I've, that have been shared with me through people that I know on a personal level. Um, I think that there's kind of like this ownership mentality when it comes to um, black family dynamics where it's kind of like you know, you belong to me type situation. <laughs> now do you mean that do you, do you mean that from a parental standpoint like 
you my yeah. son, you're my child, that type of thing. Okay. Not so okay. you're my you're my son, you're my child, but more so like you belong, like you literally belong to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that every parent just wants the best for their child, but we also um, have to take into consideration that. <laughs> You know, parents are only basing what they know about life and about the life experience based off of their own um, life experience. Um, And that's something that we don't take into consideration too much um, when growing up because I think that, especially for me personally, um, I didn't understand that, um, you know, I felt like parents kind of had like the superhuman type of factor. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Where they were just divinely right and they were they were definitely without fault and you know mistakes didn't exist within being a parent but I think that as I've become an adult and I've become to understand my parents a lot more and and realize you know what they've gone through as children as well um at the end of the day you know we're all you know just trying to get it right and trying to understand as much as we can about life um through trial and error um I agree and so Definitely, um, and so you know, I, it's a lot of unpacking. I just not first for myself, but for my family as well. Um, and it's made me understand a lot of, um, as far as like some of the decisions that were made and some of the things I experienced as a kid, um, especially when it came to um, me coming to terms with who I was, you know, with my sexuality and and kind of like where. I fit in um, amongst the rest of the world um, because I was raised Understood. within that whole within that because I was raised within that whole black church mentality um, <laughs> and community, um, which is play. And I, I don't think that people understand. Like, and I mean this with this, and I mean I say this with the best of intentions, but um, that community is plagued by a world of mental illness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It is. Like, it is, it is, it definitely is. It's uh so so I agree with you. I agree with, with what you're saying as far as the indoctrination of a lot of things because you know, I had the epiphany myself where I know as you be, as you become an adult and you start dating and you know, people make these comments jokingly, especially when it comes to infidelity within a relationship. Right. I want to be given. A, I want to be given a choice. I want to be given a choice. Well, guess what? When we were born, we were never given a choice on anything. It never. was we were we were pointed in a direction. We had to go with the flow, and we had to accept a lot of things. You know, okay. and when you when you say black church, I definitely can identify because my great grandfather was a pastor for thirty two years before he passed away, and wow. um, my epiphany was. Uh, as we think about religion and all things, I was like, um, so how did you know that I wanted to be a Christian? Or how right. did you know that I wanted to be a Muslim? You right. know, you know what I mean? And but yeah. but through but but through and still, whatever they did, we did. And so now right. we're seeing we're seeing the effects in our adulthood to right. where we're now peeling the onion and now we're going in reverse unlearning a whole bunch of stuff that was given to us 
Exactly. And it was passed down to us in, in mostly from an opinionated standpoint without any real research. And, exactly. And we're, and we're uncovering and, you know, just, just something as simple as saying, you know, with the choice of religion, just something as simple as that, where someone makes a, a decision to convert to something else. And then the whole family is looking at them like, what are you doing? Right. And, 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 and you can only respond simply by saying, it's my choice. Right. You know what I mean? But but Absolutely. that's to your point with what you're saying. I, I totally get what you're saying about black church with a whole bunch of crazy ass folks. And you can cuss on the talk yeah. of podcast. So don't, don't be tight now. Don't be tight. Tell your story. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, and the reason why I kind of like I go about that that, that subject a little gentlier um, than I would had I be talking about anything else is because I still hold a lot of those core values um, and ideas and morals um, still very near and dear to my heart um, mm-hmm. because I do believe um, in the importance of faith um, and faith based practices um you know there's a lot of times where i've been in situations where um you know all i had was faith you know what i'm saying um and that's really what allowed me to kind of come through on top just believing that you know um there was an entity um out in the universe that was going to bring me through no matter what what the situation was no matter you know how many people had counted me out or how many people had changed their disposition as far as like they're they're uh, allying with me um so uh, I, I still hold a lot of those um core value systems um near and dear but at the same time i think that as i began to and this is the, another thing like what i've learned in my experiences um as you begin to um gather a greater understanding about yourself and about your life and about you know the people who are um, who play important roles in your life um, and you start to question things and you start to kind of like you said you're pulling back that onion I -hmm. think that other people's emotional immaturity tends to scream the loudest because they're just showing you exactly where and when they missed the lesson or where they stopped doing the work or where they stopped asking questions or where they stopped thinking for themselves and adopted, you know, ideas um, from other people that were around them. Um, and that has been, I think that that has been probably the most eye-opening experience um, that I possibly could have ever expe- uh, ever gone through thus far, primarily because... Um, when you understand people's level of emotional maturity, then you can deal with them um, a whole lot better. Um, and keep in mind, I'm the product of a, of a, of a, of a two-parent um, household, um, so I really have gotten to see, you know, the effects of my father and my mother's childhood um, upfront and personal. My mom was 22 mm-hmm. and my dad was 24 when they got married. Okay. okay. So. Um, being 29. <laughs> and looking back in retrospect, you know, I can imagine. <laughs> I could not imagine 
being married at 22, you know, um, or 24. Um, I barely can be imagine imagine being married at 29. I'm still trying to get together. You know what I'm saying? Um, and um, and so you know, I take these things into things into consideration when I realize that you know my parents were young, and and when you marry that young, especially, um, I feel one of the things I'm really grateful for in my own personal experience is that I've I've been able to kind of grow through the growing. Um, process um, and learn about me without the distraction of having to entertain someone else and their own process and getting to know who they are. You know what I'm saying? Um, I feel like when you get tied down into these really, really big, really, really deep, really, really serious relationships really early in life, um, you miss out. You miss out on learning exactly who you are because it's no longer about just you. You have to take into consideration this other person. And you also have to take into consideration, which a lot of people don't, that this other person is also going through, through their own journey of, of self-love and self-discovery um, and, and, and understanding about the world and how the world works and exactly where they fit in the world. And I think the 20s is always a constant playground of questioning, okay, well, am I doing the right thing? Is this where I need to be? This don't feel good. Let me try something else. Does this work out? I don't know. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, and I, I totally, I'm grateful that my 30s are here because 20s have been tumultuous. The <laughs> 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 20s have been super tumultuous and, you know, filled with a lot of trial and error. Um, I'm grateful for it now because it served a purpose. Um, and I had to go through it the way that I had to go through it in order to learn the lessons that I've learned now. Um, and I truly believe that God does not make mistakes. I truly believe that universe allows things to happen in its own way, organically, um, the way that it needs to. Maybe not the way that you want it to or the way that you desire it to, but it definitely happens in the way that you need to. I always say to um, my pe- especially people on, the, um, on stereo, um, which is where you found me, I, I have a habit of always telling people, I listen, love may not take you where you want to be, but love will always take you where you need to be. Um, and be grateful for be grateful for every place that it takes you, because there's a lesson to be learned in every place that it takes you. No matter how uncomfortable it is, um, no matter how ugly it might look or or distorted it may seem, there's a lesson to be learned. Um, and as long as you are learning those lessons, as long as you are getting those lessons, as long as you are not repeating the same circumstance or the same situation over and over and over again then you are winning, you know? It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay for you not to be um, living within your full purpose just yet. You know what I'm saying? That's a process. That's a journey. Right. Um, right. But as long as you are taking those lessons to heart, as long as you are not um, keeping, allowing yourself to be distracted, as long as you are not numbing yourself during your growth process, and that's something I had to learn how to stop doing as well. Um, stop partaking in... in partying and drinking and smoking weed and all this other stuff because at the end of the day like you're supposed to be it's supposed to be uncomfortable <laughs> and if you are comfortable that means you're stunted in your growth people who are comfortable can't achieve anything greater than what they got right now absolutely 20s is different 20s oh are, 20, 20s is 20s is a lot of partying a lot of wild shit you know 30s is a little it's, I'm going to just say this. Sometimes the 30s 
are just slightly better. And yeah. like you said, like you said, as far as um, getting to know yourself, I, I'll tell anybody now, step away from a relationship for a while yeah. and explore yourself uh, unless you're with a person who allows you to have your identity. Right. If, you, if, if you're involved with someone who allows you to have your own identity within the relationship, then you don't have anything to worry about because, uh, you know, as I was dating, I often gave myself to the other person as a man feeling like that was the right thing to do. Right. And as, as, I, had a, as I had time to reflect, I was like, man, I wish a whole bunch of years <laughs> trying to help somebody else be yeah. the best that they can be. Right. And, and, and in retrospect, I'm just like, I didn't want to be that missed, I, missed, I missed a lot of things that yeah. I could have done better or even went even further had I not yeah. had I not played it safe just trying to protect the other person's feelings and emotions Absolutely. as I wanted to advance in life. You know, and I mean that from a standpoint of career and things yeah. of that nature. Because, you know, right. you, you you're 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 hesitant to travel. I mean, I remember getting offered numerous times to go to California for different positions. And I just wouldn't go. I wouldn't go because yeah. I'm like, my girlfriend, my girlfriend, oh, they don't yeah. want to move out there, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. But enough yeah, about it. Like, it's all about you. It's the Vinny already. That's all about Vinny. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you donated that because I, I can completely identify with that with that concept. Um, you know, I'm I've been single since I was about maybe 21. Um, so it's been eight years of just being by myself, and that's not to say that I haven't entertained people. I'm mean, taking people seriously, but at the same time, I'm so grateful for the fact that I was not in a relationship <laughs> because right. I was a broken person. I was a broken person. I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. Um, I'm just getting to a place now where I love me. And I can say that out loud and I can mean it. And it doesn't feel awkward <laughs> to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. doesn't feel awkward to, to to be able to stand in it, even if it means I have to stand in it by myself. Um, right. And I think that that's something that people really haven't really been able to get to a place. I feel like people always, uh, their happiness and their validation is always lying in other people. Um, and I was one of those people, so I completely empathize and I understand and I identify exactly what that is. Um, so, like I said before, coming from the black church community um, and, and going through, you know, having experienced that, I knew that when I when it came time for me to have to be honest about who I was, um, that was never going to be something that was going to fly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was never going to be a situation that I knew that was going to be open welcome, you know, with open arms and I was going to be able to just be able to like soar and be accepted and not be questioned or not have to experience, you know, negativity. And so, um, you know, I was persecuted really, really bad. Um, and my parents and, you know, my family, you know, treated me, you know, sometimes not the best. And, and um, I understand where that comes from because they were just only demonstrating exactly what they were shown to demonstrate to people who were like myself. Um, so, now, when you say like yourself, like when you say like yourself or being persecuted, uh, let's, let's let's be more specific. Like, okay. what 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 did they push you off on? You know, what were they turned off from? Well, I'm a homosexual man. I've you know I've come out the closet when I was about. 18 years old but it was always a 
situations that I already knew um, at a very young age. I mean, like, I would say, like, two, maybe three. Um, and it was just something I felt on the inside. It was just it was just something I just always kind of, like, knew. And it was always something I kind of had to feel like I had to, like, hide. Because I always so, had to push behind. And in your, in your early ages as a toddler, yeah. you had more interest in what a men a man looked like in the right. outer appearance than right. you did as a woman as, rather than a, a girl at that time yeah. and more so a woman as you grew older right okay so how trying to trying to present the question right so obviously you said you came from a two-parent household right was there love was there love in the atmosphere between your mother and your father no. <laughs> um, and God bless them. Um, you know, my parents are still together to this day. My parents have never separated. Um, when I when I was born, my dad was in the military. My dad spent the first ten years of my life in the Coast Guard. Um, okay. So you know, my dad wasn't around a lot. Like my dad was probably around like once every three, four months. He would okay. be on the ship okay. and go like to different. Um, um, no, I don't, I understand that life. My cousin just retired. He just retired this past July uh, as an officer from the Coast Guard. So I okay. definitely understand that. And I mean, you know, I know many that have served, and I was a part of the ROTC when I was in high school. Although I chose okay. not to go uh, military, so I get it. So now you, it was you and mommy in the house. It was me, my way. brother, uh, and my mom. Yeah, right. and for the first ten years of my life, and. My mom, God bless her soul. My mom did not sign up to be a single mother, but it's something that she ended up being in the end at the end of the day. But she did such a great job, my mom, um, given the circumstances and given the knowledge and the tools and resources that she was given. You know, my mom made sure that we never went without. She always put us in the best of schools and gave us the best of opportunities because my mom sat me down at six years old. Um, and let me just tell you, my mom is a real one, okay? <laughs> my mom is not calling out you think that life is a Disney movie. <laughs> she sent okay. me down at six years old, and she said, listen, she said, Benny, you are growing up as a young black man in America. And, you know, although we live in, you know, mixed cultured um, um, environments, and, you know, you run around with your little white friends, your white friends can get away with being mediocre. She was like, and they don't have to work as hard, but you are going to have to be exceptional just to be considered. Um, because being black in America, is, is, it puts you at a disadvantage. Um, and when my mom told me that, um, although I understood where she was coming from as an adult, um, as a kid, that made me struggle so much with identifying with my race or accepting it. Because all I was able to understand as a kid was that me being black was a me being black was a disadvantage. Um, so there has to be something wrong with me being black. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah. The young Vinny Blanco, the fresh prince of Bel Air in Philly over here, was yeah. told by his mother, you know, certain things that he needed to be careful of. And you said that puts you in an awkward place. Understanding that your father is a uh, veteran and uh, salute right. to him. Thank, thank him for his service to our country. I, I got a question for you as far as your uh, your brother is concerned. How yeah. how how old is your brother? And, and, oh well, 
as far as he's, what's the difference in age? So he's two years younger than me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm actually the oldest of five, um, but the the younger three came a lot later in life when I had already become an adult and graduated high school and all of that. So, okay. um, yeah. So he so your daddy came home retired from the service and he was born again in a certain sense of family that is and started another family within the family. That's that's my understanding. When you say you're the oldest well, of five? Yeah, the youngest three um are adopted. So they're oh, not okay, okay, biologically okay. related to me. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, understood. So did you and your did you and your brother participate in any 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 athletics coming up? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't want to <laughs> but my mom my dad made sure that we were always in football and basketball. Those were the two main sports that we were we were put into and yeah, it was just always kind of like something that, you know, we did to appease our father. <laughs> <laughs> or because we really weren't given an option. It wasn't like something that we asked for. It wasn't something that we wanted to participate in. It was just kind of like something that, you know, my dad wanted to see his boys doing, so therefore we did it, you know? Um, so were you, were you good? What did you just, you just hung out there because, you know, that's what you had to do. And that yeah, was that. And then you had a chance to see some people in the locker room, obviously, <laughs> because for the well, other no, reasons. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with, like, town sports, they don't have locker room. They didn't do all of that, especially now as a kid growing up. So I didn't really have that experience. And then, like, mm-hmm. in high school, I didn't play any sports. So, like, the okay. whole locker room thing was only for gym. And, you know, even then, like, I was one of those people who was trying to keep who he was to himself <laughs> all through my my school career I didn't come out until I was I graduated high school at so because um, I was not about being a part of the rumor mill and I felt like all through dealing with somebody who had really low self-esteem um, so you know I wasn't confident enough in myself to be honest about who I was because I was already you know feeling and seeing a lot of the persecution and a lot of the negative treatment um, that people have towards, you know, the LGBTQIA community within the own within my own home. Um, you say that so eloquently and so fast. Oh my God! And when I say it, and then I, I butcher it, and I play around, and I throw the A B C D E G and F, people get so pissed <laughs> off with me, and I be like, Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm not, like I told I'm not saying it to slight anyone. I'm not saying it to slight anyone because um, you know I have siblings and relatives that. Um, that lifestyle as well so right. you know at the end of the day at the end of the day no matter what you know if they, they, they put statistics on everything in life and there's one in every family for the right. most part or there's Absolutely. a friend someone has a friend close friend right. that's, that's one so you know you, you can't escape that but I just wanted to say this real quick um, so you brought up something interesting to me because as I'm preparing for another podcast um, as a part two follow up with someone she sent me a message and understanding your parents have never divorced but yeah. this, is, this is this is interesting because I, I can understand where you're coming from because your father worked away from home more often in his in, in, in the majority of his career 
than not. Right. So it was saying here that 40% of boys are raised by single mothers, which your mother was a pseudo-single mother for the right. most part. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it says 70, 78% of teachers are females. So what that yeah. means to young boys, that close to 50% of children growing up have a hundred percent feminine influence in their home. Absolutely, for sure. Do you feel that that impacted you more so than something that is naturally built into your DNA? To for sure. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I I think you know, and I'm I'm comfortable and honest enough within myself to acknowledge those things. Um, First of all, my my mother's side of the family, which is the side of the family, you know, everybody has a side of the family that they're closest with. Um, right. My side of the family that I was the closest with was my mother's side of the family. Um, and most of that side of the family, especially when it comes to my cousins, first of all, let me just put this out here. My grandmother, may she rest in peace, I lost my grandmother uh, over the summer this year. Um, she was one of 15 children. Um, so wow. my mom's side of the family gets Um and uh, most of my cousins growing up were females. And they were so cool. Like, they were the coolest girls I've ever known in my life. You know, they were all, they all lived in Philly. So they all kind of like grew up together and they were really close. They loved music and I love music. They were really into like all of like everything that was trendy. And they were just super, like, I just felt like they were always super popular and super, like, just like the It Girls. And they just, like, they did hair, they did all of that. They jumped rope, they did all of that. And I was just, I was enthralled because I just thought they were just so cool. And they loved me, they doted on me, they always picked me up, kissing me and hugging me. And I just reveled in that amount of love. Um, And so I think that when I got to see all of that and I really got to feel all the and keep in mind that I'm an empath as well um so when I was being fed all this feminine energy <laughs> what did I do <laughs> I did what every other empath does I internalized a lot of that energy um right. and so I think that that for certain um was probably my first real big influence as far as like um attribute attributions to identity is concerned um, and I respect I that. Would... I respect that, man. I respect that yeah. because a lot of people, a lot of people uh, have a tendency to say, you know, they can't see where it came from. Yeah. And, um, and, and and when you when you when you can think back and recollect what was going on for you at that time, you're the oldest, obviously, and right. um, you know, you're not a sports person at all. Right. Those say. And you're being made to do something that is not within your interest or your taste. And right. the people that the people that show you love are are women. Right. At the end of the day. So you're examining those things and you know, I definitely can understand the impact that it would make on you, especially when, you know, you could be considered and not to say that you were, but from a male's point of view, you could be considered, you know, awkward. Right. If you were put in a situation where it was you and five boys and not in organized sports because your mom took you there, then it might be like, okay, so what are you guys doing? And, eh, yeah, all right, 
I gotta go. You know what I mean? Because that's yeah. not your thing to hang out in the streets and throw bottles, throw rocks. The typical right. shit that little badass kids do when they're right. younger, you know what I mean? <laughs> Create right, forts, that kind of stuff. I get you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, my cousins, they were so cool. And to this day, like, when I see them now, like, there's still a feeling of, oh, my God, my cousins are so cool. Um, but, yeah, I think that that, was, that, that definitely contributed, like, um, definitely attributed to my early on um, influences. Um, and then also keep in mind that my cousins, my girl cousins were always, and they were older than me, too. So, um, you know, that was always kind of like, you know, me looking up to, you know, the generation above me. Um, that was always a factor and then also like I think the reason why I identified more with them than anyone else was because they were always into the things that I was into you know the little boys growing up that I I knew weren't into you know acting and singing and dancing and music and all of that other stuff like they were into like you know roughhousing (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and and calling each other names <laughs> and right. you know like I, I was very I was a sensitive kid I was a, I was mama's boy through and through as a kid and my mom protected my mom was my mom sheltered the hell out of her kids like we didn't sleep over people's houses we didn't we, we didn't we weren't really allowed to go over people's houses if we did it's because we snuck up in there um uh my mom did a, such a great job because like, my mom just she just didn't want us to be victims of of um you know of things that happen out in the world and you know people get molested and things like that which i mean happens to me anyway but i mean she tried as as much as she could she tried to keep me from those type of experiences um did she overdo it sometimes that's that's up for debate you know if you ask her <laughs> but my mom did the best that she could um, and um she just wanted to make sure that her kids were protected and so um, i spent a lot of time with family um, and um, they were really the ones who watched us, my grandmother and my cousins and a couple of aunts. Um, I had one uncle who uh, who really, really took me under his wing, um, who passed away when I was younger. Um, he was a pastor at a church, and um, he loved me like a son almost. And very early on, and I think this is probably one of the most impactful things that I've I've encountered in my life. He early on saw that I, I had a, not only a gift, but I had a, a, a desire to sing. Mm-hmm. And so what he would do is he would put me in front of the congregation every Sunday because we attended his church out here in South Jersey. And mm-hmm. he would put me in front of the church every single Sunday and let me just sing my little heart out. <laughs> and I thought that that was so, I mean, that to this day, and I get emotional thinking about it every single time because I think that that was so powerful for me to see because I had never, not one time, ever had been shown by a man that sort of attention. Like, not only do I see you, not only do I love you, but I see the things that you love and I want to support you in the things that you love. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And that was like, that was the most impactful thing for me. He made me, he had me sing ever, I mean, when I say every Sunday morning, I was up in front of that choir with the lead solo. I was in front of the choir every Sunday <laughs> with the lead solo. And that, that, that did wonders for my self-esteem. That did wonders for um, my, my love for music and my love for entertaining. And, and I think that that really 
spoke volumes. And then once he did that, other family members within my family who were pastors in front of their church kind of caught on. My grandmother and my grandfather, um, as soon as he did that, they caught on very early well. So anytime I would visit their churches, they made sure I was in front of congregations singing as well. You know what I'm saying? So it just kind of had this rippling effect. And I think that that, um, that in, in hindsight, did such wonders for my, my, my self-esteem and, and definitely kind of boosted um, my love for music because, you know, there was a was an exciting feeling. It was scary. It was intimidating, but it was such a thrill to kind of hear people you know, hooping and hollering and clapping and, and, you know, excited just to see me and my little self at six, seven, eight years old up in front of, you know, everybody, a congregation of at least like 75 people. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, adoration. Adoration. Absolutely. Adoration is addiction in itself. Absolutely. You know, once you start getting the fanfare. But I just want to ask you, like, how, as you're, as you're getting these, or as you're having these feelings, yeah. For other men, other young young men. Right. How does how does your brother do you, do you confide in your brother at all? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because well, I Did I he thought... develop did he develop in a masculine way that was different? Yeah, like me and I I don't know. and it's weird thinking about it now as an adult. But I think that, you know, my brother was just, a, just cut from a different cloth. My brother just took, my brother was just very much a boy's boy. Um, he liked to play in the dirt and he loved to play with ants. And, um, you know, he was a boy's boy and he played with the boys and he just kind of like reveled in that energy. And it was never really a situation where I went and, and I, I, I'm only talking from my personal, you know, evaluation and understanding and from the things that he shared and the things that I've seen from him but I never really got to see much of you know him being in tune with his feminine side I think that he loved to be loved on as well as a kid but I think that he really just enjoyed just being around the boys um okay whereas for me that right so if if uh if it came down to a situation where dad came home and this 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 excuse sports, but it's time to go church. And you know, yeah. mom 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 knows what you're doing because she's seen it. You know that's your performance, singing, etc. And if dad attended church with y'all, what was his response or his or do you recall his initial reaction seeing you perform for the first time? Um, my dad has been consistently kind of reclusive um he doesn't really he's never really been the type to express himself too much um and or interject his his emotions or his feelings so there really wasn't much of a reaction i think that he just kind of took it in stride and just like okay cool they want to do music that's okay um but i never really felt and i think to the day i think that that's had an effect on me i never really felt like a genuine interest um from my dad about who I was, what I liked, what I was interested in, what I, you know what I'm saying? I never really mm-hmm. felt that. Um, and that's not to say that, I, that may, it made me love him any less, but it does say a lot about how I kind of interpreted him and where that has placed our relationship. Even as an adult, I think that 
you know, although I care for my dad and, and we definitely, you know, there, there's, there is love there. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, we have like a platonic type of relationship. I don't know how to say it. Like, I don't look at him, I don't look at him, I don't feel or look at him like he's my brother, but I don't have like this fatherly type of, of, I don't know, like adoration was, for my father. Like, you know, some people about, like really just. It, it was about your, it was more so like, you know, that, yeah, that's my father, obviously, but, you know, because of the work situation and being distant. Yeah. That, that love affair wasn't there that loving aspect of the relationship was more given to your uncle the pastor who you could who who was more relatable in your eyes right right yeah who who really took who took to me you know what I'm saying like I never really felt like my dad took to me I never really felt like my dad really went on his way to get to know who I was like you know, my dad never really had personal conversation to add like, what do you make like what do you what are you into? Like, you know, oh that's what you wanna do, let's see what we can you know what I'm saying? Like and, and there were times where I think that my, my mom tried to set my dad up to where, you know, he would be a part, but it was never something I really felt genuinely that it was something that he took upon himself to to do. Because um, not only that was my dad not around because of work, my dad wasn't around my dad when he was around, he wasn't emotionally invested. Um, and that and that's attributed to a lot to his person. Like that's that's that's, that's attributed a lot to his childhood. Um, he was born to a family, um, to his mother and father, and his father left the house very early on in in his childhood. And his mother ended up resenting being a single mother and took it out on her kids because it's not something that she signed up for. And so there were a lot of times he grew up where he was just kind of like summoned to his room to be by himself, you know, for the entirety of the day because she didn't want to be bothered. You know, she was angry, she was hurt, she was upset, and she he ended up being the emotional um, punching bag for those emotions. And so that that has carried that that type of treatment um, and mentality. I can only imagine. Um, man, you starting in my you starting in my documentary right now, man. I'm supposed to be doing a documentary about this type of relationship. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 That has stayed with my father all his life. And so my father's been, my mom, my father has always been in a state of being present, physically present, but not here. Right. Not here. No, I can understand. And, it's very relatable yeah. from that era because, you know, um, uh, it's it's hard for the older generation within our community to express compassion. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so I yeah. can totally, I could totally understand where you're coming from with that. Where you, you can see a person every day. And uh, yeah. you know the mo- the mood is very mundane for the most part. It's it's gen- disingenuous, and you know when you're dealing with that individual, I have turn you turn around and you're speaking to your mother, and it's, it's like night and day. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And my my mom and my dad are my mom and dad are ding and gang. <laughs> like, my mom is super, 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 like, invested. She was one of those moms who were, was a part of everything. Did my homework with me, you know, asked me how my day was after every single day. Wanted to know about, you know, my mom was my best friend growing up, you know, because I had low self-esteem. And kids, I think kids, when they see that you're a kid and you have low self-esteem, they go for the jugular. <laughs> <laughs> They yeah. run for the opportunity to make you feel less than because they know that they have the opportunity, they have that that privilege. 
Um, and so there were plenty of times during lunchtime, I would be in the little principal's office eating my lunches and crying my heart up to my mom. And my mom just like, you know, just get through the day. It's okay. You know, you, you know, you are loved. You know, you are, you know, you are special. And, you know, you'll forget about it. You know, when I take you home, and American Idol will be on the TV screen, and you'll, everything will be restored back to, <laughs> back to normal. Um, and so, yeah, that was my mom. Was my mom? I think, and I think that because my mom knew who my dad was, she definitely knew that she would have to kind of like have to um, or compensate mm-hmm. um, for the ways that my dad would not be involved. Um, and so, my mom, and then also just having having been a pseudo single mom. Um, I think that she kind of just got used to carrying the weight of both roles and responsibilities because that's that's the type of situation she was in. She didn't have a choice. She had two young boys who needed attention, who needed love, who needed discipline, who needed, you know, um, direction, who needed morals, who needed values. And, you know, she, she knew that she had a job to do as a mom and that's something that she dedicated herself to. Um, and so, you know, she definitely invested herself you know twice over um so i'm grateful for that um and, and a lot of in a lot of my ways i'm a lot like my mom um we actually talk a lot um talk a lot like um i tell my mom all the time like you are my voice you are my voice of conscience like as i've become an adult and i've i've moved out into the world and you know had my own personal life experiences outside of the home um my voice of reason is the it comes in the voice of my mom. <laughs> so I can't escape my mom even if I want to. <laughs> and I tell her all the time, like, mm-hmm. Mom, I hear you all of the time. Can you leave me alone for the two seconds? <laughs> because you're always everywhere that I turn, every thought that I encounter, you are always there. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that that's something that she, she's excited and that, that, that makes her happy because she knows that no matter what's going on um, and no matter what I'm facing, she knows that she's always present. Um, and that's something I've, I'm, I'm learning to be grateful for because <laughs> being so much like somebody, you can only imagine how that contributes to, you know, how you guys might. heads or how that how that provides you know um situations where you both you know don't see eye to eye or how personality personality traits might clash at certain times um because we both feel very deeply we're very passionate people um so trying to get us to change our dispositions on certain things especially depending on the the subject matter is a little bit of a difficulty um but I digress. I'm getting back. I'm getting off track. Um, you were talking about my father and and his role. So yeah, my father was always there and um, just not there at the same time after I turned 10 years old. And also, additionally to that, um, when he came out of the service in um, 2001, my dad came out of the service like I want to say like 16 days after September 11th. They would talk about sending him overseas. After wow. you know, you know, after the September 11th attacks, and he was like, "Oh, let me get up out of here. I done spent 17 years at the service. It's time to get out." So mm-hmm. my dad left, and um, he was super militant. He was super militant, and he he immediately ran into the role of the disciplinarian, um, and that I was just not 
I was not siding with that at all. Um, but that's and, typical. You know, that's typical in, in, in any military family. Uh, yeah. You know, when they come home, they're they're the enforcing hand. Yeah. And it's be- and it's because they have been made to be super disciplined. Yeah. In their in their career. So when you don't make up that bed, they're looking at you kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know, when you leave something just sitting on the counter, it, it I think I think being a part of the military for some, not all, but for some definitely it makes them anal retentive. And you oh, know, sure. they, they, they they develop that, that uh O C D type um uh, uh feeling when they're home. So yeah, man, I I can definitely relate with what you're saying where he just transitioned into being a, a disciplinary as soon as he got out. Yeah, it, it it was like it was just like immediately. Um and it and it messed with me. It really made me feel some type of way because I felt like, you know, here I was, you know, at ten years old. At ten ten years old is a big age. You're an adolescent, you have some sort of perspective and understanding about how the world works and you know, you're well versed. You can definitely speak for yourself. Um, not to say that you can make your own decisions because you're very much a child. <laughs> um, yeah, you're feeling yourself. I know. My mom got married to someone around ten, and and uh, yeah, I was a handful, so I can relate. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was used to the way things were. Like my mom had a system down pat; it worked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and so. You know, when I had this other entity and I didn't know who he was. I knew that he was my dad. But outside of him having the title of my father, I didn't know who he I didn't know who he was. Mm. You know? And that made me feel some type of way as far as him rushing to the role of disciplinarian. Because I was like, How are you going to know what's best for me in correspondence to discipline when you don't even know who I am? You don't know how I work. <laughs> You don't know where my weaknesses are. You don't know where my strengths are. You don't know what my feelings for food is. You don't know what my favorite color is, what subjects I do well in school. You haven't been here for birthdays, Christmases. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was just so much. You don't even live I, here. <laughs> you the visitor. You barely don't even live here. Exactly. You really don't even live here. And so it was a lot of resistance that I had towards him because he wasn't trying to get catch up on long time. My dad wasn't worried about the things that he missed and, and the system that was put into place. He wasn't worried about understanding me. You know what I'm saying? There would be times I would be talking and I thought that was, you know, it was just a regular conversation. My dad would just pop me in the pop me in the off. I was just like, I love what? I love the way you're telling your story right now because you you know, you're actually uh you're actually creating a whole mental health package with the way that you're unloading in regards to what happened when your father came home in the sense where I can say like if you think about this and you go back and listen to this podcast down the road you probably can put together a whole package for people that are coming home from the military absolutely to, to, to tell them or be suggestive to say to them hey before you start being dad or mom right you know what I mean just take a step back see what's going on and now you need to transition back into the home 
right. as you're transitioning from the from the service. So yeah, I, I, and I like that just popped in my head as you were speaking and saying what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, um, something I've definitely it's 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 close to my heart for sure. Um, because I do have a heart for veterans. You know, most of my a lot of people, a lot of the men in my family served. Um, so you know, I definitely have a heart for veterans and. And I definitely would love that for sure. I'm actually pursuing um, my degree in becoming a counselor, trauma counselor. Um, so that's definitely something that um, I'll definitely take into to, 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 um, into mind when I'm, I'm moving forward. As far as like, you know, that I, I'm looking to do as I'm pressing forward. Um, but yeah, but those were the, those were the that was the situation, and it was it was difficult, you know. I was, I was rebellious and I'm very like my mom so I'm very my mom raised me to be very opinionated and 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 passionate and to speak out for myself I felt like you know I was not being treated fairly but what what my parents did not express uh, or did not expect is that um, I would even be that way when it came to the way that they would treat me as well I think that parents decided to think that Oh, I'm gonna raise you to be opinionated and passionate and outspoken, but that doesn't apply to me because I'm your parent. But once you've sold that e, <laughs> it's there. You know what I'm saying? Like once you have, once you have let someone know, like listen, it's okay for you to speak out for yourself, to speak up for yourself. You don't understand that they're not only looking at the world through those lenses; they're looking at you with the same lenses that you put on their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was not having it <laughs> as much as I can express it as a ten-year-old child. You know, and, and and there was a lot of friction. Oh, there was a lot of friction um, to the point where, you know, therapy had to be um, put in place because it was just a lot. You know, and and those were the ages, um, ten through twelve, twelve, ten through twelve. I was kind of like, you know, starting to really understand what being a gay man was, or or what being gay was, the idea of it. Um, was and, and how you know that was affecting me um, and I still was something I wasn't honest about or something I was brave enough to confront um, and I know that my father saw this in me I know who that my your, father knew this who was your first crush who was it when, uh, when was your first when no no not a name but when was your first crush on a man when yeah and that's so crazy and everyone so many people I know within the community can write the first idea or run at the first oh I do know matter of fact I do not mind <laughs> I was going to tell you I don't know um, my first crush was on a little boy named Joey and <laughs> I was six years old Joey was seven and Joey lived right directly across the street from me we had just moved out of Philadelphia and moved into South Jersey, and um, Joey lived right across the street. And I knew that I liked—I knew that I liked Joey. I thought Joey was a cute little, cute little light-skinned boy with curly hair, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I understand what these emotions are, and I—and I wanted to play with Joey all the time. And um, I disguised me wanting to play, you know, me having some sort of feelings for him under the guise of, oh, let's just play, let's just. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and my mom knew. <laughs> my mom was like, you are so 
and saturate it with that boy Joey across the street. <laughs> you need to see that little boy alone. Um, you can see it in your eyes. Okay. Oh, knew it. My mom knew what it was. My mom, my mom, and I think the reason why, and, and I'm going to touch, touch on the relationship that I have with my mother in a second because it's, it's tumultuous, <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack there, but I think that my mom, and she's the one who felt more strongly um, as far as negative um, feelings, as far as, um, you know, who I, how I identify myself, um, and I'm not sure exactly why. Um, I don't know if that's contributed to something that she went through in her childhood or something that she experienced, or maybe that's just some of the toxicity that was, um, you know, internalized um, through her experience, through that, you know, black church mentality that we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> because my mom was raised to believe growing up that if you wore pants as a female, you were going to hell. You want to say a little So that just speaks, yeah, that just speaks volumes as to how twisted things were, um, you know, and, and I'm sure that she, it take, it's, it's, it's taken her some time to, to confront some of those things and she still has things that she probably hasn't confronted to this day but either which way um, it's funny how my mom um, operated within that space because I think my mom saw it coming and she did everything she possibly could to scare me into not making that decision because not so much that she hated homosexuality because I feel like I got so caught up in the emotions of her being angry but I don't think her anger came from me really choosing this life. I think it was really a mixture of you're going to add on another, another struggle on top of being a black man in America. Because I already told you at six years old mm. that being black was a deficit. And so you're going to add gay on top of being black? Mm. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I think that, that wow. that's what made my mom so... And up until now, I didn't get... Like, I have chills talking right now. Because up until now, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But me being an adult and me being able to sit back and be able to really observe things and have a full, honest perspective. Um, and because I started to do the, the work on myself as far as, like, getting healing from a lot of the things that I went through, I think that that really was... That's what it was. My mom, she just didn't want me to... My mom already knew that it was going to be a struggle. My mom already knew it was going to be in trouble. She told me six years old. So when, when being gay... Mama knows this. Mama knows this. You know what I'm saying? Say. But not really. Yeah. It's, it's, your, it's your life. It's your life. Right. Um, but my mom just didn't want me to struggle, and she already knew. And then also keep in mind that my parents lived through the HIV-AIDS epidemic. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I, I remember only... the first one. I remember Rock Hudson was the first celebrity name in the 80s you know I'm, I'm 42 so I, I remember that first Hollywood shopper and it was like damn then it was Arthur Ashe the tennis player but his situation happened because of um, uh, a blood transfusion that he had in New York one of the one of the most famous uh, male tennis players who happened to be black from Virginia Arthur Ashe so you know HIV and AIDS and not to add, well, and but also to add the crack epidemic, you know, coming at the same time, it's like COVID. COVID is the new HIV. Yeah. Because the, the scare for us that have went through the initial HIV period was 
you don't know who has it until they get it and then yeah. it doesn't show and then the way people were checking out before they were able before they were getting medicine yeah they were they were shriveling up man and they were a shell of themselves and you're looking at people like damn man what happened to him man How, yeah. why the hell he it was, yeah. it was it was it was the it was phenomenon better. and the trauma that that Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, let me say this fuck PTSD I'm gonna right. call it T I'm gonna call it TSD because it's traumatic stress disorder because it ain't Absolutely. no post in it 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 it, right. it it is something that's ever present and it'll never leave your mind because I've For had sure. I've had people that have fell victim to it so I totally right. know where your mom was coming from. For sure. Continue Absolutely. on. Continue on. Yeah, it's your show. I think that. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's totally I, I, I enjoy. One of the things I love about stereo, for sure, is the fact that um, you don't get on by yourself. You get on with another person. Um, right. And that's, and, you know, I'm just starting my journey in um, content creating. I've always been a conversationalist. Um, and every job that I've had has always been a, a job where it was customer service based. So talking to people is just something I've always had a back for. My, my mother was a vice president um, of a children's museum um, in, in Philadelphia. Um, and so I grew up um, with an early appreciation of arts, history, and culture. But in addition to that, um, you know, because my mom was a vice president, anytime the newscaster would come and do a story or, you know, anytime there was time to pictures, whatever, my mom made sure I was at the front. I was I was always in somebody's camera or somebody's microphone talking about something. Um, and that's why I would tell people now, like, I'm so personable because I wasn't given the opportunity to be shy. <laughs> in, in correlation to that, and then we also singing in front of the congregation every Sunday at my grandparents' church as well as my church. There was no time to be shy. There was no time to, to you know, sink into the background. My parents, all, I think that they just always had great expectations for me, and so they wanted to make sure that I was put in positions to where I had to exert myself and let people know, you know, greatness was in the building. And so I'm grateful for that now, looking back at it. But, um, but yeah, I think mean, just the, going I'm back I'm going to add one more thing, you know, sure. like your mom, you know, it, it, it's an undeniable situation for you, you know, as a black man. Being outspoken right. is is is, <laughs> is another thing that your mom could talk to you about because um, everyone's gonna be drawn to you as long as you're willing to speak. Um, I was the ball player. I'm tall. I'm the big athlete, so I couldn't duck attention even if I right. wanted to. So, right. Yeah. Hello. Yep. 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 Oh, okay. Give it to us. Okay. Give it to us. It's your story. I'm living in your world. It's the Vinny Hour. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, and it's so you know, I'm so used to um, talking about other people. So talking about myself sometimes seems a little bit odd, not odd, but just like just out of the norm for me because I, I usually don't go on and on and on about myself. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for allowing me to share my story, first of all, um, because I definitely feel that a lot of people can identify um, with a lot of things that I've experienced. Maybe not everything, definitely. I know that there should be, especially when it comes to um, young black people um, who have been raised um, 
and you know mixed or all white um, communities because there were a lot of times when I was coming up and and I was in mostly white you know school I would be one of two kids in the entire classroom you know what I'm saying um, I, I'm gonna so, hit it on the head though to be honest with you and let's 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 not be in denial um, homosexuality at a young age in black community is very prevalent. And we, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I definitely will not shy away from it. And your story is going to undoubtedly impact others to speak up for themselves or to feel more comfortable in who they are. Because right. um, it's a lot of people that live in fear. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely have uh, a large, uh, a great deal of insecurities because they cannot posture themselves to to address it and um, yeah. to shy away from it is is even a bigger problem in our community because you know you already have a person feeling outcasted and not to acknowledge yeah. them and they have to consistently you know hide uh, who they are in character no no let me rephrase yeah. that let me rephrase that. I'll take that back. They have to hide, and mm-hmm. you know who they are as an individual, right? And the choices that they choose to make, as far as living and trying to live freely, are frowned yeah. upon. In most instances, you know it's you know they're constantly walking on eggshells. So oh, you know sure. to 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 elevate you and and give you the platform to speak to them that are living. And the shadows like that is um, mm-hmm. is important. Is very important to me. It is important. Um, it's so important, and I'm I'm grateful to be the one to be able to to get on your platform and be able to share my story. Um, and it's not an easy one to share um, because <laughs> there were a lot of trials and tribulations that 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 were correlated to my experience. You know, um, because my mom saw, you know, me um, liking boys at such a young age and didn't want to necessarily give life by giving putting a title on it because um, mm-hmm. that, that's all something that exists within the black church community they feel like if they feel as if if they don't put a title on it or if they don't call it out for what it is then in some roundabout way they have um, neglected the effects or the responsibility of having to deal with what it actually is um, mm-hmm. and so um you know, I think that my mom thought that she was going to be able to traumatize me um, by not going that route, by mistreating me anytime that, um, you know, I showed any signs of feminine energy, anytime I showed um, any affinity for things that had to do with girls. Like, um, you know, I grew up liking a lot of girl artists um, and, and female singers, and my mom tried to shame me for that. <laughs> um, I grew up... I wish she shamed up with you. A- why do you always like girls singers and you're a boy and you, you know just like always making it seem as if it was an issue um, verbally so it was, it was verbally condescending or abusive yeah it was very it was it was a lot of verbal and psychological abuse that was mm. ensued in the household um, in efforts to try to manipulate the situation and I guess traumatize me enough to not want to go after it 
instead of actually just dealing with what it was and trying to find the best solution moving forward. Um, uh, I know you went to therapy, as you said. Do you feel that it was a conflict that she was having because of her being a a public figure for the most part with her position, um, you know, having to, you know, consistently have her life under a microscope in that type of position working at the museum? Or do you feel that maybe behind closed quarters, it was always an unsettling uh, or fiery debate between her and your father? Well, my father's sister is gay. My, my father has a sister who looks like me, literally. Um, wow. So I was raised, and I was raised um, with a gay aunt. Like, and she loves me, and she kissed me, and she, you know, she was around. She wasn't, like, super, super around, because my mom always felt some type of way about, you know, her and her lifestyle. So my aunt kind of kind of kept her, her distance. Um, but she still was around. And um, my, my father didn't shame her. Um, my father didn't speak ill about her. My father didn't, you know, make her feel uncomfortable when she was around. He adored, he adored, he adored, he adored his sister. See, I've never seen my father light up the way that he does until his sister is in the room and they are cracking jokes and they are enjoying each other's company. My father really turns into a real person um, with happiness and joy in his eyes and a gleam in his eye when he's with his siblings. My father is one of three. Um, he has a younger brother. How does, that, and, um, how does that make you feel, though? You know, be his, his son and seeing the openness there versus your relationship. Sad for him. I have empathy. Mm. Because um, I feel as if he's like that with them because he, he, he's, uh, he automatically goes back to where the trauma was first inflicted on him as a kid. Um, and so he sees more, and then he is also connected to people who understand exactly what he went through, mm. you know, um, because they all have the same mother, different fathers, same mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I think that he feels like there's a camaraderie there. Um, and also a sense of support and understanding, like, we know what you went through and it's okay. Cause we love you anyway. Um, and there's, there's not really much space or having I think that when people are traumatized and they go through things especially when it when it comes to psychological um, trauma um, is it's hard to connect to people who don't understand your struggle and sometimes when you are presented with the um, with the position of having to explain what happened to you that'll just kind of discourage you from even just getting involved altogether and I think that that's kind of like where my father is um, because it's too much work and it's too much honest. I also think that to, to protect his heart um, and to protect to protect that, that, that kid who was mistreated, um, I think that he has neglected having to be honest about his situation. Um, because the pain <laughs> of what the actual situation actually was is too much to bear. And my father, my actually, it's my father's birthday today. My, my father just turned 58 years old. Um, and I don't think that he will ever honestly be able or be willing to face that that dark and ugly truth. Um, and so 
how he protects himself is that he sets himself off to the world, you know, um, until he sees, you know, his intermediate family um, that kind of trigger that little, that, that inner child to come out. Um, and it's not all the time, and he, his family is not around a lot. Like I said, my, we're more close to my mother's side of the family than my father's side of the family, so there's not a lot of interaction that goes between him and his siblings. Um, he reaches out to them on his own time through, like, you know, you know, thank, thank God for the advancement of technology and the Internet. Um, right. You know, I'm sure that he keeps, you know, consistent contact with his siblings and he hears from them. But they, I know that they definitely go through periods and moments in time when, you know, there's a, a chunk of time where they don't speak and, you know, they'll fall back into contact whenever they can. Um, mm-hmm. And that's all contributed to their own experiences. But, yeah, I think that I... Think that I I've, because now that I have uh, my experience within mental health, I understand. Like, I, I, I used to hold it against my father. And my father said some really nasty things to me as far as how I identify within the LGBTQIA community. And um, I always question, like, well, if you feel this way about me, then how do you feel about your sister? Mm. Damn it, man. Because there's no, way, there's no way you can shame me about who I am. But so, and then your sister come into the door, and you got you ain't got nothing but love and kisses and hugs and jokes and laughs for days. Like, so how is it fair that she gets this treatment, but you can't show this to your own son? I'm half of you. Mm. We got the same name. That's amazing. Mm. Um, so I think that 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 has been. That's been the that's I, I, and that's been kind of like and that's something I've had to kind of like been able to understand and and I don't think I really do understand um, and there's some things I'm not going to be able to understand you know um, my father needs therapy for the things that he's gone through in his life and until he really is able to have some clarity and some understanding and some healing from those experiences in his own personal life I'm not going to be able to connect to him you know what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. Because in order for you to connect with people, you have to have a level, a certain level of, of vulnerability. Right. You have to. Um, there has to be a, a certain level of openness. My father's never really had that. Um, and so I, I've learned how to live with it. My mom has learned how to live with it. Um, I'm sure my siblings have all learned to live with it. Um, and, you know, it's sad, but it's it's the case of what it is. And you know, you can't change people. Um, and mm-hmm. so I've just kind of learned to accept that, you know, my father's 58. And, you know, he has a he has a um, fibrillator in his chest. My father caught COVID during the first round of co- coronavirus. Um, wow. And before coronavirus hit, um, he's, always, he's always had to live with an enlarged heart. Um, so when he caught coronavirus, um, of course, that was one of the first things that... that um, provided to be, uh, you know, uh, an issue. Um, so they immediately sent him out to the, the hospital and they operated and they put a fibrillator in his chest. Um, so I've, I've had to understand that, you know, um, you know, there might be, a, I might not ever be able to have that, that experience with my father, um, where he's open enough and vulnerable enough to share some of the things he's experienced and, and really stand in his truth as far as what he's experienced as a kid and that's okay that's okay he's still half of me you know what I'm saying and and I still have had 
even in all his flaws, even in all his misunderstandings, even in his absence, I still had the benefit of having both of my parents in the home. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate maybe as little as I feel like sometimes his contribution was, I'm still very much appreciative of the fact that there was a contribution at all. From him because I could very much have not known my father. I know so many people who have grown up not knowing their knowing you know their fathers or not knowing their mothers. Um, so you know I'm grateful for whatever contribution I got from him. Um, I'm grateful for whatever little bit of information I know from his childhood stories that has been that has been imparted to me from his mother, um, from his sister, from his brother. Um, and so you know I feel like I have. I have everything that I need in order to be able to... Because sometimes you have to come up with your own resolve with certain issues. Yes, sometimes you have to yes, your yes, own... Yes. You know, sometimes you have to come you, up you with your own You have to give resolve. situations closure. Yes, indeed. You gotta yes. come. You got to create your own closure. Mm-hmm. You do sometimes. Because, because that other person... Out of your control. Yeah, some, some, and, and, that, and sometimes you can look that person in the face a hundred times and they ain't gonna speak on it never any any wrongdoing that they're doing to you and that they know outright they will pass you a thousand times and they will not acknowledge it so you have to come you have to find it within yourself to forgive them and move the hell on because if not all the wondering that you're doing is gonna drive you insane because And, and, and and it'll drive you totally crazy yeah, yeah, that It'll part. drive you to other mm-hmm. that, that feeling of longing, that feeling of missing, that, that void of feeling like you're missing something. And that's why a lot of times I have to wake up, I have to wake up in the morning and I have to, and I literally wake up in the morning, I look myself in the mirror and I say, I am everything that I am looking for. Even if I don't feel that way, even if I feel hopeless, even if I feel like I'm down on myself, even if I feel like I'm not loved, even if I feel... Um, you know, not the most self self confident or or secure in myself. I look at myself in the mirror, and I and that's one of my daily affirmations. I look myself in the mirror and, and look myself dead in the eye, and I say, "I am everything that I am looking for." Because sometimes right. that void, that void, that space that you feel that you're missing something will drive you insane. It will drive you to self destructive behaviors. It'll drive you to you entertaining energies and people who don't mean you no good because you are your space. truth you absolutely. are your truth yeah you know absolutely absolutely and so I've, I've, I've had to learn as an adult I think that that's one of the me doing that within the last year because this this journey towards inner peace and happiness and, and spiritual restoration this has just been a year process 2020 has been has been such an eye-opening experience for me um, and I'm so grateful. Um, but that's been one of the things I think that has saved my life, you know, mm-hmm. because in moments where I would indulge in self-destructive behavior or in moments where I would entertain people who who dishonor themselves or who in turn will dishonor me, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if you entertain the people who are not doing right by themselves, you can't expect people to treat you with a treatment that they don't treat themselves. Like, if you're dealing with somebody who is who's not making sure they're good and their priorities are taken care of and they're the most healthiest, they will, in turn, 
treat you neg- negatively because they're treating mm-hmm. themselves at the same level of energy. Um, True. And 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 I and I've learned that you know through a lot of trial and error, me being the victim of a lot of different situations, was just honestly the core result of me entertaining people who were no good to themselves. So I mm-hmm. ended up being a casualty, and them just reflecting the energy that they were they were internalizing. Um, and thank God I learned it before it was too late. <laughs> um, thank God I learned it before it put me in some real real safety situations. There's people in the mm-hmm. in the grave right now, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Who just were in the wrong place, the wrong time, with the wrong people, and right. will never ever be given an opportunity to make a different decision. So I'm I'm grateful that I, it didn't it didn't take me to, for me to get into those type of situations for me to understand like all right, I need to let this person go. All right, I need to accept it for what it is um, because you can people reaching their full potential is a, is an option. It's not a guarantee. Some people live their whole life and never reach their full potential. My mom used to say growing up, my mom, oh, my mom used to give me so many good gems. I tell every young person I meet everywhere that I go, I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, my mom used to tell me, she used to say, you want to go to one place where where, where it's full of potential? Go to the cemetery. Mm. My mom used to say, future presidents, um, what's supposed to be you know, scientists, what's supposed to be teachers, what's supposed to be Nobel Peace Prize winners, what's supposed to be real leaders and, 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 and real um, powerful people, dead and gone, without mm. reaching their full potential. I felt but that, Reaching your full potential is a choice. Reaching your full potential is an option. People have potential. Everybody has potential. We all have purpose instilled in us. Not everybody lives out their purpose. You know, some people get distracted. Some people get caught up in, in other people. Some people lose their identity. So it's, it's your, really your decision. It's, it comes down to how bad you really want the best out of your life and what you're really, and how far you're willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice is not comfortable. Some people say that um, fear is, um, people um, fear um, failure more out of life. I say people are uncomfortability. Do you know how far people will go just to make sure they're not uncomfortable? Very far. People will very go far. will spend their very last people will spend their rent money. <laughs> on very far. That's <laughs> why we have so many people unwilling to tell the truth. Because Absolutely. they'll they'll rather remain uncomfortable not to force the situation for against another person Absolutely. to get them in trouble. Yeah. And that's why we got the hidden secrets where, you know, molestation mm-hmm. within the family. Absolutely. And especially when it's through kinship or a family friend. And it's not even just a person telling them, don't tell, don't say anything. It's more so once something traumatic has happened, the person who is the victim is more concerned about not getting the person in trouble who did it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And that happened to me. Um, when I was two years old, I was I was sexually molested by a female cousin of mine. Um, and my parents knew about it. And apparently, like, they put me in therapy. And um, the therapist mentioned that, you know, uh, it was early enough in my development where I wouldn't remember. And if they didn't bring it up, then I would be fine. <laughs> but I remembered. <laughs> 
and I found myself at 18 years old bringing it back up (laughs) and instead of my mom you know having a regular reaction you know I would think that my mom was being shocked my mom's reaction was oh you remember that and I remember my jaw my jaw dropping to the floor and um it really made me look at my parents for the first time like humans. Like, oh my goodness, these are not, you know, understanding that my parents are 22 and 24 when they got married. I was like, oh my goodness, my parents are still 22 and 24 in a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, and I get it now. Like, I, 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 that was the one that was the one situation that came about that made me understand like, oh, wait a minute. My parents are still 22 and 24 in a lot of ways because they miss out on learning some really important, vital lessons. Mm. They missed out. They missed out. You know what I'm uh. saying? And um, and it, it shook my world. It shook my world to the core. Um, and after I came out for you know with that with that um, confession, you know I was able to open up about me being raped at 12 at a uh, summer camp um, at a church of all places. <laughs> um, and I think that that also had a huge effect on it as far as how I identified myself. Um, because from six years old, six, from six years old onward, um, people have been calling me gay. You know what I'm saying? Like I, my mom put me in public school one time. <laughs> At mm. six years old, I was in the first grade, and um, it was horrible. Them kids was running me home every every day. You understand what I mean? And um, and I was called gay and you know faggot and everything else like that. I never can imagine. Kids are terrible, and I didn't know exactly why all of these names are being called. But I now understand it. Like me being in love with my girl cousins and me having an affinity for female you know, singers and artists and 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 programming on Disney Channel that cater more to, you know, the girl you know, the girls and the guys and all of those things, like those had a lot to do with how I presented myself, how but I your you cla- know, I, but my, your classmates but 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 your classmate didn't get a chance to see you as a person like that at that young age. So what I mean like what what do you think was something that out to them that made them be so harsh and you know choose to chase you down and sling slurs at you like that well I was a very I was a very effeminate kid okay um, okay so it was it was your body language you would right yeah okay. it came gotcha. out in the way that I talked and you know I was a little heavy well not at that particular time I wasn't heavier at that but um it came out in the way that I talked and the way that I walked and um you know it, the boys looked at me like, who is this? <laughs> mm. um, that's what scared little Joey away. <laughs> little Joey wow. saw that. He was like, I am not trying to come outside and play with little Benny Blanco today because I'm not trying to be tied up in all that energy. Um, and I can laugh about it now as an, as an adult. Um, but, you know, that, that was that was, that was disheartening. And, and so the only people who really took, towards, took to, um, to me were little girls. And they love and, you, uh, and they love you. Really? I mean, I, 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 I definitely know the relationship of that one kid in school that uh, 
you know, you could you could perceive that he was going to be uh, living an alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he had a fan club, especially in black women. Black women love gay men. Yeah. love gay men. You know why? I always share people this. I think I, I try to open up the dialogue and I try to explain to people why um, black women and, 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 and black gay men usually or just gay men in general, usually have a camaraderie. I say, um, in any race of people that you look into, um, you'll find that there's two sects of, of people within those those races um, that are usually face the most, um, the most mistreatment and the most persecution. And that's usually the women and the gays. Mm. Um, and Especially within the black communities, I think that um, we end up having a lot. A lot of times, you'll see that we have such a strong camaraderie because a lot of our struggles are, are similar. You know what I'm saying? So your um, double negative, your double negative was a was a, was a plus in that in yeah. that instance for you. Gotcha. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned that through my experience, not just through my experience, but also what I've seen. And my, you know, for my own observations of being within the community and, and seeing other black women and black gay men, you know, going hand in hand. And, but that, that, that type of camaraderie is super strong. My best friend to this day is a, is a girl. And when I tell y'all that she will fight grown men for me, <laughs> like that, that's, a, that's a bond that is that's undeniable and that is unbreakable. And when you are able to grow with that person because we were broken people when we met each other um but we both have been um on our journey to um um self-love inner peace and spiritual restoration she started a little earlier than i did she probably started about a year a year and a half before i was able to start my own journey um but when you're able to meet people when you're broken and be friends for the wrong reasons but then get healing from a lot of the things that exist within you and then still be friends for all of the right reasons now. That's a beautiful thing. And so she's not she's not just my friend now. She's my sister. Um, so you know, she's always around, always. And we're on, we're honestly the same person. She's me in female form. Um, and every time we get together, no matter where we go, it is a show. <laughs> every single time. Um, but I say all of that. I'm getting off the subject. I want to get back to to the um, the story. So. Growing up, it was hard, um, and the girls loved me, and the guys didn't. And because I was a sensitive kid, I was sensitive to energy. Um, I didn't make myself available to the guys because <laughs> all you had to show me was one time that you didn't like me, and that was enough for me to stay out of your way. <laughs> right. I was never in the business of imposing myself onto people. I was mm-hmm. always in the business of I just want to be who I am. And, you know, if that's for you, then we can be cool. If that's not for you, I'm going to stay out your way. Um, mm. Although that, that ended up being working against me because people felt like they could, they could test me because I was not a confrontational kid. I didn't really right. grow up within, the, although I'm from Philadelphia, a lot of times I didn't grow up within the inner city. I had a very small and limited experience as far as the things I experienced within growing up in Philadelphia. I wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to leave my block. Um, and I also was raised in one of those type of communities. And I'm grateful for it. Back in those days, 
where everybody's parents on the block looked out for everybody's kids. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like you were just outside and every everything and anything was happening. You was outside, but you was protected because you had the neighborhood watch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't have yeah, the village. The village. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, now, um, it's, let me let me take it back though to the to the, uh, the unfortunate incident. Um, as far as something happening in the church, and my only question was when you said it was you were in the church and. You know, unfortunately, you were molested by one within the church. Yeah. My question is, how do you go home and try to be normal after an uh, 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 an act like that happened? Um. Well, because I had already been tampered with at the age of two. Um, but that's, it but that's, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. But that, to me, I'm just going to say this. You're saying it was a woman when you were two years old. Right. I don't know if it was a woman when you were. No, okay, it, was a, it was a guy. It was a man later on. Right. So I, I, I'm just merely assuming that those have to be two different type of experiences. So that's They that's were why different. Ex- they were different in the and the nature um but violation is violation um and it was always something that I knew happened to me but I didn't share with anybody I didn't share any I didn't share that information with anybody until I was 18 um I didn't know that my parents knew um because they never talked to me about it um but when that happened to me um Again, um, on a much more severe type of of uh, level at 12, it caused me, well, first of all, like I said before, I was always being called gay. I was always being called, you're gay, you're queer, you're this, that, and the third, um, at six years old. So by the time, this is now six years of me being told who I was and where, where I, you know, where I fit in in the world. So when I was, when this act had happened to me, um, I kind of felt like I deserved it because it was all of my life, all of my conscious life um, that I've been alive. All I can ever remember is being called <laughs> gay <laughs> and gay always being a hot topic of discussion, whether it be the kids teasing me or whether it be a mom, you know, um, speaking out against it. And, and trying to warn me the, the, you know, the evils of the gay lifestyle and the gay agenda and all these other, you know, mentally ill concepts. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, I just, I kind of felt like, well, it's, I'm not necessarily looking. And then also I knew that I had an affinity for boys. I didn't know exactly why. So I just kind of felt like, all right, well, maybe this is what, maybe this is how this works. You know, like... Clearly, I had sent out a signal that this was something I wanted, and you know, this is what happened. Um, I knew yeah. better. I don't want to. I don't want to call it Stockholm treatment, but syndrome. But it, it, is it a little liking to Stockholm? Yeah, for syndrome? sure. No, I, I can totally. Mm. I, I'm never. I'm never. I, some people will try to fight you tooth and nail to try to make it seem like, oh no, this is just no. 
I will definitely be honest with you. <laughs> um, for sure, for sure. It has, I can definitely see how the stockholder treatment um, is, is correlates to my, my particular situation. I'm not sure if it, it correlates to everyone, but I can only speak from personal experience. And I'm not, mm. you know, too big or too proud enough to say that for sure. I definitely can see how that, that correlates. And then also keep in mind, you know, um, I'm going to do before she actually, like, before I actually told her what it was. So I thought that if I came clean about this situation, I was automatically going to be in trouble because my mom already was giving me a hard time about being gay without me even having to come out, without me even accepting that about me. So I was like, oh, she already going, she already going to think that I did. Like, I didn't think that my mom would have thought to take my side. I think that she would just question, give me a thousand questions to try and see how I manipulated the situation or how, you know, things may have went a little further than I expected, but I welcomed that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Um, because that's that's the type of mom. <laughs> that's the type of mom that, listen, my mom growing up, my mom told me all the time. She said, listen, I like my little white mama who go on the TV screen and plead to the belief, oh, my son didn't steal. My mom, I'll be like, listen, I hope my son didn't steal. I taught him not to, but I ain't going to be out there, you know, swing up and down that you want to do X, Y, and Z. So when my mom went, so when my mom was on that type of time and knowing that my mom had that type of energy, I was always very much careful. Very much careful. I was just kind of like, okay. Because I know that my mom wasn't always just going to run to my defense. My mom was going to see how I played a role in whatever was going on that I, you know, I had to share. So, um, I kept it to myself. I kept it to myself, and I kind of had to, I had to pick up, pick up life as normal. I mean, luckily, it happened late enough in the summer, so, because it happened during us, you know, there was a summer camp program that this church was having at a particular point in time. Um, and it happened late enough in, during the program where I had maybe like two weeks left of the summer camp to finish and then it was over um so it was a situation where it happened and then as soon as it happened i wasn't confronted with this person anymore um i didn't see this person anymore i never heard from this person ever again um and so it just kind of like ended up being a situation that happened and that it's kind of like was able to kind of like push back into my memory and not have to confront and not have to tell anybody because nobody else knew you never confronted the the, the, the person who was selfish, you know. And do you know if they were if they were older, you know, yeah. Was it was it, an, was it an adult or was it a teenager? It was a teenager. So I was twelve and this young man was fourteen. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a situation where you're dealing with a grown man who no, it wasn't, forced, it wasn't forced adult, you into man. something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> grateful that it's not <laughs> never been that type of situation um, but it was still a forced type of situation it was still a very uncomfortable type of, it was very much a violation um, and I asked and I pleaded for it to stop and it didn't and you know unfortunately it happened the way it happened um, but from that point on I think that you know my, my innocence was gone you know, if my innocence hadn't been taken there too, and for sure, whatever was left of it was for more. <laughs> um, 
you know, desecrated <laughs> at 12. And so by the age of 14, I was now taking it upon myself to now start to experiment and, you know, find out, you know, okay, so what is, what is it? Okay, so we here now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we here. I've had this experience happen to me. People calling me, you know, gay and, you know, I feel this type of way about boys. So let me see what it is all about. Like, let me just finally put all of the rumors to rest. <laughs> Put all of these voices in my head to rest and finally try to find out what's really, really going on. Um, and so from 14 on, I was like, you know, having my own, as limited as it was, but I'm still having, you know, like little experiences. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, that confirms what I already, what, what I know was to be true now. Um, and it's so funny that that was the age that I started to experiment because that was the age that my me and my mother's relationship took a turn because I know from a spiritual standpoint that my mom knew that I was experimenting. She didn't have any information. She didn't have any uh, evidence. But I know because my mom knows me. Mom, there'll be times where I'll be going through things and my mom... My mom would call me on the phone. When I was living in New York City, there would be times I'd be going through some, just going through some real bad things. I hadn't talked to my mom in a couple of weeks. My mom would call me on the phone and know something was going on. <laughs> and I'd call you to ask. It's called yeah. a woman's intuition, yeah. <laughs> my mom would be like, I'm not calling you to ask you if everything is okay. I'm calling you because I know everything's not okay. Well, I just mm. want you to tell me what's going on. Like, my mom wanted to know and so I know, I know in the core of my spirit that my mom knew what was going on. <laughs> and it changed, the, it changed the dynamics of my relationship. And so where we were really, really close, I used to call my mom crying because I was being picked on in school. My mom ended up being really, really mean and kind of bullyish. And like I said, and I don't think it necessarily became, it was just all directly, you know, directly linked to me being a gay man, I think it was in the, you know, the, the correlation of me being gay on top of me already having to struggle with me being a black man in the world right. and knowing that that was just an additional struggle. My mom was pissed! My mom was pissed! That was not a part of the plan! That was not mm. a part of... That was not a part of the dream and in the in the set of ex, uh, expectations um, that she had set for me. That was not a part of the deal that's not what she had requested that's not what she asked for and that and to this day that has been something my mom has always kind of struggled with and continues to struggle with very much so um and um yeah and ever since then we've just had we've had very rocky relationships i don't question that my mom loves me i think that my mom loves me at the core of it for sure, for sure. Anytime that I really, really needed my mom, anytime I was really, really down on my luck, my mom was there. No questions asked. You know, it don't matter if I was in if I was in New York City. I called my mom, bawling my eyes out one day. <laughs> I was going through such a hard time living in New York City. I moved to New York City for all the wrong reasons. I moved to New York City trying to find love and acceptance and and and, and a place to belong. Yeah, all while trying to be a pop star. <laughs> I like music, and I thought that 
I was going to come to New York City and make some shit happen for me. Um, but, you know, the thing about the city is that there are predators that exist in the world. There are predators that exist in the world who can sense the brokenness off of you. And when they know that you are somebody who is looking to be loved and looking to be liked and looking to be accepted, they will give you a false sense of all of those things and drain you for everything that you got because they know that you're a given, you're a given person. You'll do anything to feel those things. And once they have identified that you're one of those people, they will prey on you. And a lot I'm of wolves. Pray. A lot of wolves out Absolutely. there in sheep clothing. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure, especially in a city like New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mom sheltered me all my all my life. So it was my first time being on my own. On my, I'm so grateful for the experience that I had in New York City because it taught me how to be a man. It taught me how to fight for myself. It taught me how to go without. It taught me how to take care of myself with no way of you know. And, and I didn't. I, I didn't come home most of the time I was in New York City. I didn't call home most of the time I was in New York City because I was determined. To live life on my own. I was like, listen, I'm an adult now. I have to figure this out. I can't always call on my mom or my dad to bail me out of situations or or to help me with certain things. Like, I have to make sure that I have a plan put into motion. Um, hold on one second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, it, it was, it, you know, I went through all of that. and But it taught me. It, it kind of built my character. It taught me how to hustle. It taught me how to you know, really, really put, you know, put the pedal to the middle and make things happen. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to eat? <laughs> All right, so if you're going to eat, then we need to figure out how we're going to eat today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, but all of those things were, were valuable um, um, uh, lessons to be learned. Um, but yeah, I come on, one day I was bawling my eyes out because I had to take advantage of, I went through identity theft and, you know, like I said before, I was entertaining a lot of people in a lot of industries. I know this is entertaining, but because I was broken and because I was looking for love and acceptance, you know, I would allow myself to be around these people and because they weren't treating themselves with the best treatment. They weren't, they weren't, they could never treat me, you know, with the best treatment either. I come on, I'm bawling my eyes out one day because I was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with loss, overwhelmed with with um with depression and sadness um and loneliness um and my mom dropped everything she was doing and got my dad and they drove three hours (laughs) from south jersey to new york city to come get me uh, and brought me home and um, yeah, and that, and that, and so like I said, like my mom, my mom definitely loves me for sure. That's never been a question. I just think that the struggle has always been why this, you know what I'm saying? Why this struggle in addition to the struggle that already exists? You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. Not just from not just from a matter of fact type of standpoint, but also a religious standpoint. Like why, yeah. why this? Like you know what I'm saying? And so that's what anger stems from that's where the that's where the fights come from that's where the, the name calling and all that that's where that stems from like why this like you know what i'm saying like you already got enough to deal with like this is the last thing you needed <laughs> <laughs> and um in a, in a way um i can look back and honestly say i totally understand like i completely can i totally can understand for sure like because it's been times when I've asked myself the exact same question. Like, why? Why this life? 
because I feel like when you are a part of a community that is always on the receiving end of negativity, you can't help but internalize the negativity. And so a lot of times of you'll find when you when you really get affiliated with the community that it's a whole bunch of people within the community mistreating each other. Racism is real within the community. Let me tell you first. Racism is a little worse. It's even worse in the in the in the LGBT so, community. Oh my God! Some of the nastiest people I've met in my life. I'm like, I thought that y'all put a picture on the TV screen where we all live together, you know what I'm saying? I got somewhere to, you know, lay my head. You, you know, like this was full house. And, um, yeah. you know, I ended up being on an episode of Pods. I don't understand what's going on. Um, so it's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. And, um, you know, it's, it made me question, like, do I even want to pursue a relationship? Like, if I got to go through all of this just to be who I am, do I even really worship it at the end of the day? Because I'm ready to be by myself. I'm ready to be done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready to cut my losses and count my blessings. Because it's, it's a lot of brokenness. It's a lot of brokenness. Um, within yeah. that you have a lot of people that are, are dealing with deeper deeper wounds uh, at times and severity um, with, within some of the, uh, the misfortunes and the tragic uh, experiences that they've had that forced them Absolutely. into that situation um, by choices. But I'm 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 a actually I'm a back up and put this thing in reversing your story. That's so right. 14, he yeah. started experimenting uh, sexually and identifying as a, a young homosexual male. Yeah. Now, at that point, you probably like a freshman in high school, give or take. Eighth grade, ninth grade. Eighth grade, yeah. So, over the topness, did you even, uh, 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 let's say, did you even try to pretend when it came down to prom season and 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 go attend prom with the with the female? Well, you know what it was like. I had some of the best girlfriends, you know. Um, and in ninth grade, I started to actually kind of tell. You know, my close girlfriends back in those days, uh, what it was. So, you know, I did have alliances because I was, you know, honest with them. Um, and we made packs very early on. In ninth grade, freshman year, I made packs with all my girls I was close to in ninth grade. I was like, listen, we're going to prom together. I don't care if I'm in the school or not in the school, we're going to prom together. Like, that's just what it's going to be. Um, so I ended up not going to the same school I went to in ninth grade when I was in 12th grade and going back to private school because you can imagine <laughs> little baby Blanco <laughs> when Artie started to experiment and also started to be more comfortable in my skin I really stopped caring about what people thought about me and so you know I started to be comfortable in in some of my feminine energy in some of the ways that I thought some of the ways that I walked I didn't care about what people had to say because it didn't matter because I was always reminded by people and I, that's one of the saving things saving graces about my story too even though I have been met with a lot of opposition the universe and God have always put me in positions to where I've been so favor um, by, by uh, you know multitude of people and so when I was in school I had, a, I had a huge network of teachers who took a liking to me and took me up under the ring and looked out for me 
you know what I'm saying, who would see me in the hallway and if I was being teased, you know, they would, they would introduce themselves. Then I was a good kid. I didn't never got in trouble. You know what I'm saying? I see all the fights. You know, I was not a fighter. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 was, I was a smart kid. I mean, I always got in the best of grades. I was a social light, let me tell you. The people who was in the business of being liked and, and, and making his rounds in the school. So, um, I may have not always applied myself as hard as I probably should have, but I definitely was, was a quick, you know, smart, quick-witted um, kid, very smart, um, and um, teachers loved me. Teachers loved me because they already knew I was kind of like, a, I, was, and I was always a, kind of like ahead of my time. People, uh, my teachers always said, you're very wise beyond your years. That's because I had old soul parents. You know, although they married you, my parents were very old souls in, in certain ways, and my mom, and like I said, mom instilled some jewels in me very young. So I was just like, oh, okay. So I would, I would repeat a lot of the things that my mom would tell me to these kids. And my teachers were like, oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, so you were, you were Mr. 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 Congeniality over there in a certain sense. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and even when I grew up to, to be into, to get into like, the work field and, and all of my time I've always been met with the large circle of people who really just really loved my energy and loved to be around me and loved talking to me you know what I'm saying whether it be managers whether it be co-workers whether it be whatever it was I was always surrounded by a huge circle and a huge network of, of people who really genuinely you know liked me and loved me and showed me that on a regular day basis and I think that that you know, that aided me a lot in my journey to self-love and, and, and self-acceptance because, um, you know, uh, of course, the negative negative energy is always a, a goal. You know, a negative energy is hard to find. Negative energy is always around. But um, when I look back in retrospect, positive energy wasn't hard to find either. Um, and it was always kind of provided to me. Um, and I always had, like, this sort of sense of... of uh, um, but I always just felt like if I if I put out positive energy, if I always made sure that I was, you know, fully um, the embodiment of positive energy, then that was the energy I was going to receive. So I was always in the business of trying to make people feel welcome, making people feel accepted, making people feel, you know, um, appreciated and valued um, in hopes that, you know, they would return that same energy. And so that ended up making me very likable. So, um, how did, so how did you how did you do it? How did you first present yourself to come out the closet? You know, I was drunk when I came out. First of all, so you know, look for courage and never hurt nobody. Number one. <laughs> um, and I mean, it does hurt you when you're illegal and I'm easy, but I, I had no business getting drunk. But I mean, at the same time, that's when, when you're you know you shelter and you grow up not being able to do anything and then you turn 18 and you find out oh wait, wait a minute I can go out and, and I have to take that home for the night and, oh yeah I was out here um so I was intoxicated <laughs> number one and number two I was in a relationship I waited till I graduated high school to get my first relationship and my relationship was toxic as hell um I was in a relationship with a gentleman that was 10 years older than me like a 4 year old son um I was 18, he was 28. I had no business. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Katie Blanco had no business being in this relationship. But because I thought that because I had been told and I had adapted to this idea of me being, you know, wiser in my years and, and being more mature than my counterparts, I thought that that automatically ensured that I could deal with a much more complex and complicated situation because I was a little more mature than, you know, people my age in some sort of respects. You know what I'm saying? Not in all respects, but in some respects. Um, yeah. So I worked myself into this relationship because also I was looking to be loved. Although I was surrounded by, you know, friends that showed me, you know, platonic love, what I really was in search of was romantic love. I wanted somebody to make me feel worth it. I, my family, my relationship with my family had grown to be really toxic from 14 on. And, um, you know, it just seems very toxic. Like I said, my mom knew. My mom knew. And I felt like spiritually, my mom knew. My mom connected with that and she's like, oh, he's, he's unlocked the beast. And ever since that moment, my mom has always taken issue with me. And so it's been fights and, you know, you know, hate, hate, hateful flurs and all types of things kicked out of my house. I've been kicked out of my house so many times. I've lost count. <laughs> <laughs> Um, over me just being who I was and um, you know and then also not only just being even who I was but also kind of speaking up for myself like you know the moment you you, you tell people that you can't talk to me like that or you, you can't call me you know this that or the third I'm being disrespectful but you calling me out of my name but that's not disrespectful like you know what I'm saying like so there were a lot of there were a lot of double standards um, and issues that I took with what was going on um and so i was looking for love from other people in the world because i felt like i was getting love from my home my my household and gotcha. so that's always kept me in a space of and then i also had a complex of investing myself into broken people i always and that happened after this relationship so my first relationship was with somebody who was two years older than me with a four-year-old son um i came out because of that relationship my mom thought I was on a date with a man. I was out at a party, <laughs> getting drunk. It was Halloween. It was Halloween weekend, and um, we were leaving one party and going to the next. I was toe up, and um, <laughs> my mom thought it was cute for her to put a uh, a curfew on what time I had to be back home when I was 18 after keeping me in the house all of my childhood, and that was not happening. <laughs> So, wow. you know, my mom thought it was cute to be like, oh, well, you know, you can go out, you can do what you want, but you got to be home. If you want to be back in this house, you got to be home by like 12 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. So, of course, 12 o'clock came around and I'm told up and I'm on my, I'm en route to the next party and my mom was blowing up my phone. And I answered the phone and she fussing, of course, the regular. And, um, where are you at? Where are you at? Regular mom, black mom stuff. Um, you know, I'm out. I just left the party. I'm on my way to another one. But you're going to get back home. Well, I'm not the driver. I don't have a license. You made sure I didn't have one. You wanted to make sure that you had full control on my accessibility and where I could be and where I couldn't be. So, you know, I'm I'm in somebody else's car. They're not taking me all the way back home. I was already like 45 minutes out of the way. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were not in the business of leaving this party just to take me home and miss the, the whole other party that was going on. Um, right. And I was not in the business of going back home for the night, especially not with me being drunk. So, um, 
she just swore that was she or my she or my best friend who's still my best friend to this day he's he's like my brother um to this day um he heard his, she heard his voice in the background because i was in his car i was in the front seat with him and um she was like who's that i heard a boy next i was like that's justin she was like no it's not no it's not you're on a date you're on a date the thing i can respect about gay people is that at least they're honest about who about who they are and when she said that i was like ding 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 For years, years, it has been a discussion since I was six years old, and it was infatuated with Lil Joy from across the street. Years. Yeah. I'm 18 now. 12 years of being harassed. I'm, I'm not talking about like once here and there. I'm talking about every single day that I woke up and went to sleep, and it has been a harassing situation. So I was like, you know what? I'm done. 12 years is enough. I've been tortured enough. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I already told a few people by this time. Justin knew, my best friend, you know, and a couple of people that I went to high school with, you know. So I was like, yo, since you're so, since you're so stressed about the situation, you will not leave alone. And I'm trying to spare your feelings because I already know how you feel about the situation. This is what it is. I am gay. My mom was quiet for two seconds. Mm. And she goes, all right, well, in a very calm, matter of fact, home. And if that is the type of life that you have decided to live, then you need to come back home and pack up your things and find you somewhere else to stay. Wow. And I was like, okay, well, you know, this is not this is not a surprise for me. I saw this coming. But you asked for the truth. And if you think that it's okay for you to punish me after you have hassled me for years about what it was, that's fine. Um, I'm not coming back home tonight. I'm drunk. I'm out having fun with my friends. And I probably want to get more drunk because you put me in this type of situation. Keep in mind, I I was raised to be spoiled. My mom put me in the best of schools, best of environments. I never wanted or needed for anything. So for me to go from being completely provided for, um, you know, to now having to be out in the street on my own with no sense of... I'm Viv about to kick your ass out, huh? I'm Viv finna put you right on the curve, and you got to figure you know, it out for yourself, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, I, but I had no, no, no type of, I never, I didn't have any survival instincts or street smarts because I was, I didn't run that type of lifestyle. Right. So it was difficult. I felt a lot, I felt victim to a lot of things that happened in the real world because I didn't have a general understanding of how the real world works. You know so what you were very naive, very naive. I, I got you. Very green, very naive, very, you know, just very pubescent in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, it was hard. It was so hard. I mean, a lot of my 20s, I said struggling because, you know, there were things that, <laughs> that were presented to me in life that I wasn't prepared to handle because I was so protected growing up. I didn't know what to do. And then being broken and looking for love and looking for, you know, affection and looking for acceptance, you know, you fall victim to a lot of things because people know that you want that, but people want something out of you. So they feel like they have to give you a false sense of, of these things while they're trying to, you know, work their magic 
to work whatever they can get out of you um, out of the situation. And so, you know, a lot of things happen. A lot of negative, negative things happen. Mm. And, um, you know, growing up has been harder than a lot of my counterparts. Like, a lot of my other friends were able to, like, you know, graduate from high school, go to college, you know, graduate from college, get a good job, establish great credit, get on apartment, uh, get married, have kids, all of this other stuff. Um, and I found myself... Were you cut off? I wasn't cut off because my mom felt guilty. And that's why I say I think that... I, that's why I know that my mom loves me. My mom... And this is how I knew that mental illness played a part in my dynamics with my parents or my mom, because my mom makes the decision. My dad is just a muscle. He's the enforcer. My dad really don't have much of a, a input. He just does as he's told. Um, I joke around with my brother a lot. I say he's a lap dog. Um, <laughs> but um, very much a lap dog, very much a total energy. He gives you total energy all day. Um, but, um, yeah, um, it was more of a situation that you kicked me out. I would be on my own for maybe a year or two. Or I would be on my own for a little bit and then move into a... Because uh, 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 keep in mind, my family's huge on my mom's side. My grandmother was one of 15 kids. So there's, in Philadelphia, there's always at a sundry of different houses I can go to because I got a whole shit ton of aunts, uncles, and cousins. You understand what I'm saying? So I would go to one of my extended family's houses and tell them what happened. And my mom has never been in the business of having her business exposed. <laughs> mm. <laughs> my mom has never been in the business. My mom is very, very much a prideful person. Image is everything. You know, presentation is everything. So the moment you go to the extended family, you just say, my mom kicked me out because I'm just not prepared. And what? You know what I'm saying? And also, I was a good kid. I stayed out of trouble, never been arrested. To this day, never been arrested, never seen the back of a cop car, you know, at college educated, all of that stuff. So, you know, when you go through these really extreme type of realities, people are like, uh-uh, this is not right. And so, or we get back to my family, my family would start talking to each other, and then my mom was so guilty and then take me right back home. But then it would be a consistent, like all of my 20s have been a consistent cycle of kicking me out, taking me back home, kicking me out, taking me back home. Because she already knew that she had set me up to be in a position to where I didn't know how to survive. You know what I'm saying? And because I'm looking for love and looking for acceptance, that took more priority to me than trying to make sure that I was, you know, getting good credit and, and establishing a, a, a good work ethic or whatever the case may be. Like, not to say that I was a bad worker, I was a really good worker. Um, but I was always caught up more so in the socialization factor. I was always caught up in more so in, in, in trying to find people to align with me or finding people. I was always Dang looking... Shit. Yeah, yeah like, was, you were looking for was, allies to aid you yeah. in that process. Okay. Mm -hmm. to, to, to cover up the void within you. Yeah. And, you know, when you're doing that in work situations, you know, that, don't, that can't work out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So a lot of times, you know, certain job experiences wouldn't work out because, you know, other things got in the way. Um, so, you know, my mom, you know, it got to a point where my mom was just, it was just consistently back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, until I got to a point, I'm just I not I cannot live my life like this anymore. I cannot live my life any live like this anymore. I'm not, I'm not obtaining anything. 
especially when I started to become like 20, I want to say 24, 25, and that was the age that um, I really got to see, like my friends really start to really blossom as adults and have their own places and have their own cars and get into like Ooh. really, you know. So hold that spot right there. So do you think if you would have somehow came home with the woman and said, hey, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Do you think oh, that sure. would have changed her perspective? 100,000%. Wow. 100,000%. 100,000%. Yeah. Wow. 100,000%. Um, but that's why I say I, I know so, that and, uh, this, is a, this is a poor joke, but I'm going to use it though. So you didn't even find a LGBT stood that she was attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny? My mom would have not even been. My mom is so anti that life that she wouldn't even have accepted that. But but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, somebody who had a cleaner image. That, right. No, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. No. No, because it was for me. It was kind of like. There was no going back to me. Like I had already had like a certain set of. Oh no, I, no doubt, no doubt. I, I mean, I, I, as I as I listen to you, you know, I don't question right. that at all. You know, what right. I mean, I was I was just I was just trying to understand, you know, the other parties who, 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 who. I mean, they contributed to stealing some of your livelihood as well. For sure. And you have to hold them accountable because of the distractions of the things that you said you couldn't set out to do. Right. Which I did. Which, which, I, okay. which I did and which I still do. Um, and um, it's been, I feel like because I've had this experience with them at Go Health, um, communication has been a lot better. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about effective communication. You know, um, especially when you're dealing with black families, we, uh, <laughs> we tend a lot, we tend a lot of times to, um, to speak out of emotion. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's our first instinct. That is our first yeah. instinct, yeah. It's usually always speaking out of emotion rather than speaking out, um, yeah, instead of really just analyzing, you know, how we're coming, how we may be, um, how, how, what we're saying might be, uh, you know, interpreted through our body language, through our tone of voice, through our, you know, our methods of communication. Um, but once I learned that, I was able to be completely transparent and still um, be able to deliver the message in a way that was receivable to my parents. And then also, once I started to show this empathy, once I realized that both of my parents are from broken households, you know, my mom was raised by a single mother, my dad was raised by a single mother, you know, and and they both, and them as kids struggled. Them as kids struggled. My mom was raised, my mom was born to an age. A woman who was 18 and was in 64. You can only imagine in Ocala, Florida. So you can only imagine. You know what I'm saying? Um, the trauma that comes with, you know, being born out of wedlock number one, and then being born to a woman who was only 18, who was a baby, who was the baby of her family. Mm. So you know, really wasn't not prepared. You know, mom always said, "I was a oops baby." Mom said that I was a baby. My mom got pregnant probably with her panties to the side. You want to try to say? Wow. Um, yeah, my mom's, and my mom's very honest about it. Um, 
and uh, my, my, like my father, and I already shared about my father, about his experience, about my father, my grandfather not being around and, you know, leaving the house very early. My grandmother was very resentful to her kids for her situation and abused them a lot of times, you know, and, and neglected them and, you know, when they acted up, beat them excessively that, you know, that wasn't necessary. Um, and um, has not been held accountable for yeah. that type of treatment. I know that my aunt has held her accountable. I wrote a letter that has opened up about a lot of things that she went through as her, in her childhood. And I know that, you know, she's received healing for the things that she's experienced, you know, and, and they're in a better, they have a very healthy and happy relationship, even with my grandmother being very, you know, devout Christian and my, and my aunt being very much a butch lesbian, uh, they have a very healthy, very loving relationship. And my aunt, my grandmother has learned how to love my, my aunt in spite of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So she's received that but my father because, you know, trauma affects people in different ways. Um, because he's never been brave enough. I think that's what he would come to. He was taught to fear his mother at a very early age. He was never able to be brave enough to say, this is what you did to me, this is how it made me feel, this is how it affected me moving forward. Because he's never had that moment of honesty and that moment of transparency. He hasn't been freed of that stuff. So every day he lived, since that, since the moment it's been, all of those things have been affected on him, he has pretty much living, you know, in a shell of himself. Because he hasn't addressed the trauma. He hasn't addressed, you know, the, 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 mal, the maltreatment and, and the excessive, the excessive discipline. He just hasn't addressed it. And so my grandmother hasn't really taken full accountability. She's taken accountability for something. She definitely has expressed to my mother that she was not, you know, the best mother to young children. She, she deals with adult children. And this is what my mom said, uh, my mom told me. Um, as far as like when my grandmother imparted to her when she married my father. She said to my nana, which is what I call her, my nana told her that she was not the best mother to, to children, but she enjoys her adult children much more than her, her underage children, um, which speaks volumes. Um, and so, that's yeah. That's just atonement, though. That's atonement. So that's. That's good. She, you know, she has atonement for the past and, and working in the present. And, um, you know, that's beneficial. So she's not harboring any ill will and making the relationships even even worse. So, I mean, you can't do nothing but respect that, you know. Yeah, I respect and, it. I definitely, I feel like, in a way, it was kind of like a blanket being pulled. Like, just kind of like, putting a cover blanket on over all of the issues because sometimes you have to call out exactly you know specifications you have to call out specifications in order for you to be able to to really feel free you know what I'm saying I know for me that's how it works I'm not sure for other people but um, when you generalize things or when you're vague in in the role of responsibility that you take in your mistreatment of people um I know that sometimes it can be interpreted as disingenuous. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, um, 
you know, as far as being held accountable to specifications, my, uh, as far as my father's experience is concerned, my mother, my mother has not had to have that because my father is that traumatized. Um, and unfortunately, he won't be until he is now. Um, and so, you know, like, and, and, you know, like, because my mother was born to a woman who was not prepared to be married and she was young, um, you know, she, they struggled. A lot of times you went without and you'd have, you know, lights on, gas on, heat. Uh, sometimes they didn't have places to live. They had to bounce around from town to the stop. She was born to a mom. Who was a child? Who was a child? And that's traumatic. And so my parents have decided to stay together because they know how traumatic that their childhood was being in broken homes and what they didn't want their kids to have to deal with any of them. Not to say that they would have ever put us in those types of situations, because I definitely don't know that they would have. Well, my parents were very, very, very good jobs. But still the trauma of having to go through what they went through in broken homes, um, they just never wanted us to be exposed to the type of of, of brokenness, um, whether it be, you know, on either side of extreme. Um, and so, you know, my parents have this type of relationship where it's more of like a, uh, a sibling type of relationship. You know, there's no that. They got, they got compan, they got companionship. It's understanding and they don't have to go to sleep by themselves. So, right. You know, yeah, right. I get that part of it. So has your like brother, yeah. Yeah. Has has your brother made you an uncle? Yeah, exactly. It's like no, a pack. I'm, no, no, no. I was asking. I was asking. So, has okay. has your brother has your brother made you an uncle? No. Has he had any kids? Not yet. No. Not yet. Okay. Not directly. Not directly. Um, okay. Currently, um, he has a girlfriend who has a daughter. Okay, um, so, so it's yeah. not his, gotcha. but um, but she's around. She's she, you know, she comes over and we we show her love and affection like she's a part of the family. But as far as having kids, she doesn't have currently now. Now I, I was just wondering, you know, because that's one thing that you know I can only imagine. There's a there's a void and and um, it would be interesting to see how your mother would would. Uh, React being a not being a grandparent, you know what I mean, and and yeah, and my mom is excited about that, my grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, and so, <laughs> just having something else to throw herself into, right? You know, cons- sure. well, considering my, considering my youngest that you're the brother, mm-hmm. right? My youngest brother is twelve, so we come out of the woods as far as kids. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, 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 I forgot that you said you had three, uh, mm-hmm. right, adopted brothers and sisters. I got you. Mm-hmm. I got a 17-year-old little brother, a 15-year-old little sister, and a 12-year-old little brother. So we're still very much. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I am a big brother slash dad for real, for real, in my region. Um, what are those? What are those dynamics like? You know, now that you have. Now that you said that you you know you've been on a journey to discover yourself and you know find love within, how is your relationship with the adopted children or the adopted siblings? Um, 
I loved him. I loved him like my own. Um, and I've and I've been a part of every major monument as far as changing diapers, baby kids, picking them to their first day of school, dressing them for their first day of you know what I mean. So I've been a part of every major development. They adore me. They might not be able to stand me sometimes. I can't even stand myself sometimes. And I listen to all the time. I listen. It's okay to be a frustrated with your family. That's what family does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I love him. It's been such a joy and such an honor and such a privilege to be able to watch them grow into their own persons and kind of have their own way of thinking. Um, you know, my, my, my youngest brother, um, the 12-year-old Maxwell, he's, he's more like my son than anything else. Um, and he loves to be a thunder me, um, even in his 12th year of life. You know, it's still very much like a, um, it's very much like a parent-child type of relationship. Um, but it's been a joy, and, the Demo- and, 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 I, and I definitely provide a voice of, of reason and understanding. You know, my parents are very much far removed from, you know, the things that these kids are dealing with on a regular basis, on a social, you know, level, um, as far as internet is concerned, and, and, you know, all the things the kids are into right now. My parents don't know anything about what's going on with the kids nowadays, but um, it helps that they have, you know, two brothers that are still, they are older, but still young enough to know what's going on, you know what I'm saying? Um, has, so, has, uh, has your lifestyle choices ever made your mother feel, you know, um, or, or reluctant to, or ask you tone it down when you're around them? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, for sure. As if it's a contagious type of situation, like it's coronavirus. Um, and you need a mask. Um, <laughs> um, but my mom was raised around, the, you know, my mom was raised around, you know, not only just the AIDS epidemic, but also the black, the gay agenda. Um, uh, ideology so you know I, I I give my mom a pass because my mom you can't expect people to know or do anything outside of what they know or do you know what I'm saying and so I really just feel in my heart because my mom still loves me she may not always agree or she may get surprised with me or she may not understand or she may even feel you know disappointed at times because things didn't pan out the way that she wanted them to but at the end of the day I know that my mom loves me like I look like my mom, I sound like my mom, um, and I'm part of her. She carried me from the woods. You know, I was, I was a miracle baby. I was like, three times my mom was pregnant. And my mom prayed me through it, and she, I was her very first child. I made her a mother. Um, and so, you know, there is always going to be a level of love and adoration involved. I think that what I'm dealing with more than anything else is it's an illness, you know? Um, and so... I've had to learn how to allow my adult self to let go <laughs> of the things that I experienced as a kid and of the treatment that I received from my parents because they are only acting out of their trauma. They're only acting out of the trauma. If they knew a better way to communicate, they knew a better way to, to, to deal with the situation, they would. But they don't. So they can't. And it's not fair for me to expect that or demand that from them if they don't know how. That's not a practical want or desire. That's not practical. 
So I've had to let things go and be able to understand, listen, baby, this is not a reflection on you. That's just a reflection of their trauma. It feels more hard for them that someone showed them that that's the way you communicate. You know what I'm saying? Right. Feel more sorry for them that that's what they were shown as far as that, that's how you communicate um, misunderstanding. That's how you communicate, mm-hmm. um, 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 you know, uh, you know, difference of, of opinion or difference of perspective. That was taught. It's not coming from an organic mm-hmm. place. That was taught to them. So I feel I have empathy for the fact that that's what they were shown. So I've allowed a lot of things to, to just leave and, and leave my leave my energy, leave my aura, and forgive because I know that these things were just concepts they learned on uh, on the concepts that they they are you know that originated out of a place of authenticity but these things were learned these things were taught so um so yeah it's and that's that's been a freeing freeing experience as well and you understand that okay this is not that you and this really ain't them at the end of the day either mm-hmm. right this ain't them right. at the end of the day either um and sometimes i feel like because I'm 29 and I'm single and I have no kids. There's a level of envy that comes with that. You know, my mom was pregnant. Well, my mom was had her first child at 27. Um, and my dad was 29. My dad, my dad was my age. He had so um, to be single and to go through life on my own and to have my own personal experience. And to still be fighting very much, you know, and fighting very hard for the things that I love and the things that I want most out of life at this age is unknown to them because it was all about doing whatever was the easiest or doing whatever added security to your life as early as possible. You know what I'm saying? My parents were watching the marriage. They were in love with each other. They were kids from broken homes who did not want to have to be adults by themselves and mm-hmm. felt as if, you know, because they were friends growing up. So they felt as if this was the best decision to make because, you know, back in those days, it was acceptable for you to get married that young. And it was being, as, it was actually pushed upon you. Um, Lucius, and, Lucius and Cookie. That's yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, yeah. you know, my parents, you know, Made the decision, made the decision making in order, to, in order to feel like I got somebody in this with me. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm a student. I can't judge them for that decision. They made the best decision that they could make according to where they were and who they were at a particular point in time. I can't judge them. It's their life experience. You know? Um, but them seeing me take a completely different um, route and really being on this no I'm going to be by myself I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to live the life that I want to live I'm not going to settle for anything that, 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 that's a fraction of, of what I deserve I'm not going to settle for what's comfortable or what's secure I'm going to settle for the absolute very best there's absolutely no reason that's why I can't live the life that I want um, right. that's unknown thing so sometimes I, think I feel like there's a, there's a level of injury because but Damn, if I had that much confidence, if I really could, you know, if I really had that much, you know, faith in, in what I had to offer that young, who knows where I could be right now? You know what I'm saying? Um, well, you, well, you have the courage now. You have the strength now. 
question. So where do you see where do you see yourself going as you are about to walk into your thirties at some point in twenty twenty one? Yes. What 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 are your goals for yourself now that you are in love with Vinny? Oh, it is so good to say that. <laughs> um, I see me going back to school um, to get my degree in trauma counseling. Um, I see me continuing my efforts and in my work within mental health um, and getting my feet wet more within the industry. I see me continuing as um, this journey of um, content creating and. Um, continuing to allow my platform to be a space for people to unpack their baggage and 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 really do the work, or really at least start the work, to learn how to love themselves and how to let something go. It's like we hold on to things that we don't understand it, that we don't have to hold on to anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There were things that I realized this year alone that I was holding on to that I didn't have to hold on to anymore. And there's such a freedom and a peace that comes with letting things go. When you realize, okay, this doesn't serve me anymore, it's time to let this go. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was a misunderstanding. I, I, I took this the wrong way, let me let this go. Oh, wait a minute, I'm dealing with somebody who is traumatized and because it's reflecting their trauma, it's time to let this go. It's peace that comes with, I pick up so, I speak up with a so much more easier in the morning. I used to wake up tall, I go to the weight of my show. I wake up in the morning, I smile hard, and I'm happy. I'm not where I necessarily want to be. Absolutely not. But I'm definitely much closer to where I want to be than I was yesterday. And as long as I continue to love myself and as long as I continue to, to promote self-love and to encourage others to do the work. Because it is work. It's not easy. It is work. You know, people think that therapists and psychologists have all the answers and they just get working magazine on you and all of a sudden you end up being a whole healthy person and healed person. No, 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 no. Healing is something that takes time. Healing is something that takes work. And it is up to you to do the work on yourself to get there. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not all the way there, but I'm so excited just for the healing that I have received and to see how my my perspective has changed just from the little bit of work and, and, and the little bit of time that I've really been putting in the work. I'm, I'm excited to see what next year has in store for me. So like this year has been the year of of learning, you know? And the great thing about learning lessons that you don't have to... Great, right? Yeah, absolutely. great. I mean, a lot of people will look at it as a, as a curse. A lot of people look blessing. at it as a curse. It's been a blessing because what it's it has done... It's been a blessing. It has streamlined, it has streamlined life. Because you yes. can look at all of the negative things, the ugly things that are out there, and um, you know the things that we have had to uh, uh, withdraw from, such as being in the clubs, partying mm-hmm. life, and things of that yeah. nature. You know, I, I my assumption is people have had time to uh, clear their heads and figure out what's next, and if they haven't. <laughs> If they have it, I don't know. You know, I, I was reading something yesterday that went something like this. It says, plot, plot twist. 2020 has actually been the best year of your life. You sure. face challenges after challenge. You've adapted, excuse me, you've adapted, 
and you've overcome. 2020 Absolutely. has forced you to grow exponentially. Yes. Don't take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. And don't and don't miss out on your sometimes I feel like people give up at the at the moment that they bless it to right around the corner. My break I know that things usually get the most hectic and get the most crazy and get the most hopeless. What I know that my breakthrough is right around the corner. What I've learned how to do is that when things like they're at their absolute worst, I get quiet and I get still. Because I know that it's not it's all this craziness is just meant for me to be distracted. And the moment I allow myself to be distracted, I've missed out on what the universe has to get me. Right. So what I do now is I allow myself to be still, I meditate, I manifest, I, I, I speak my positive as, uh, uh, aspirations to myself. I save, I let my soccer handles if I need to. Um, I bought a seven day soccer handle. And when I tell you I have been on a level 10 since then, um, I feel so much more aligned powerful and in control and and just completely where I need to be and so and, and also in addition to what you were saying um 2020 has been a blessing simply because this whole pandemic has removed the distraction right 2020 has forced people to look at their situation from all aspects all viewpoints from all perspectives. People didn't know just how toxic that situation was until the distractions was removed out of the way. Mm-hmm. People didn't know how toxic they were to themselves until distractions were moved out of the way. That's a blessing. Because now you can actually do the real work that's necessary in order for you to move to the next phase of your life. Now whether or not you get there is depending on how bad you really want to get there. I can't do the work for you. Okay, nobody do the work for you. You have to do the work for yourself. But when I tell you that if you can stay focused, if you stay in tune with who you know you are meant to be, then everything will work out. And I'm telling you, the payoff is so much, it's so grand. And, I and life easier. I got to take you back to you, to, you, to when you were 18, even though you were 29 now. Yeah. But you're in a, you're in a position, you have a clear mind. You have a little more understanding of life as you've lived a right. little bit. Right. What is what is ideal for you as you're moving forward to find companionship and happiness for you? How will you now? How will you now open yourself up to the dating world mm. as opposed as opposed to the intimacy? You know where. You know, again, people sleep around. Let's let's just be blunt. We're adults, but right. to focus on finding that companion that's willing to be with you for your life journey. Um. Well, like I said, I think that once you are once you start your own journey of um, self love and healing, um, there's just certain things that you just cannot entertain. Um, and so I'm no longer looking for love because I don't love myself. I'm looking for someone who can add to the love that I already have for me. Um, and that in itself is a blessing. Um, because when, if and when it doesn't work out, you don't lose anything. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You still have True. the core essential values and, 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 and things that are put into place. Even after it doesn't work out, you still have you at the end of the day. Relationships used to kill me when they didn't work out because 
at the end of it, when it didn't work out, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have anything left over because I would make the person I was with my complete identity. I would make the person I was with my complete um, just everything. And when you make yourself your identity wrapped up into someone else, when they leave, you are left with nothing. Um, and so absolutely. I'm, I'm so happy and so grateful for the fact that I've learned to love myself because now I'm looking for someone who can contribute um, and who loves themselves as well. I'm not looking for um, a broken person. You know, I'm not looking for a broken person to make whole in hopes that they will return the favor and make me whole, um, in, in, you know, in, in reciprocation. Because that's what I, I used to have a habit of doing that. They used to have a habit of finding people who used to get out of really broke down situations broke down mentalities um, and instill all of this nurture and love and finance um, into these individuals and, you know, dust them off, shake them off and, you know, <laughs> dress them up and do all that stuff and think that they would then in, in return, you know, be loyal and, and invest all the work that I put into them into me because I didn't love myself and I was looking for them to love me in the way that I didn't what love I, me. What I just heard right there, you were just being your mama. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. 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 So yep. I, I have this saying. This is one of my quotes that I use consistently as I analyze and I break down things now as I'm a, an adult. You are what you see. Yeah. So, so since that's what you saw in your upbringing, that's what you emulated as an adult. So as you're trying to break the past, as, as you're trying to trying to break the mold and establish yourself and have your own path, I just tell you, I would just like to say this to you: continue being positive, continue praying, continue practicing the mystics. Don't let nobody tell you nothing else. Being spiritual with your crystals and your chakra and your meditation, and um, as they say, once you really center yourself and find who you are. Um, you're going to attract something similar. Absolutely. And that's what they always say. That's what they always say. You know, um, give us some information on what you got going on, who you are, where to find you on social media as we close out here of this great conversation. Yes, thank you so much. I've, I've, I've learned a lot more about myself sharing my story. I think I think that that's always... Um, an interesting uh, uh, part of doing interviews and sharing your life and sharing your story is that sometimes when you when you look up when you look back in your life in retrospect you missed out on certain lessons or there's certain mm-hmm. things you didn't pick up the first time um, and right. so thank you so much um, because um, I now have been given the opportunity through talking to you about a lot of these things um, I've I missed out on some, on some details um, about my parents, about me. Um, so thank you so much for providing me with that opportunity. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I am still um, hosting an assembly of, of mental health conversations on stereo. 
um, I really have set up shop there. I've never done content creator. Uh, I've never been a content creator up until this year. Um, like I said before, I've always been a conversationalist. So um, being provided the platform to really have these really important um, and pressing conversations um, as far as mental health is concerned, it's been a blessing to me, not only just to me, but my demographic at the same time. Um, if you guys would like to follow me on there, uh, my name is Exo Vinny Blanco. Um, as well as the rest of um, social media, you can find me under the same um, screen name, Exo Vinny Blanco, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere, uh, except Snapchat. Snapchat will be Vinny Blanco XO. Um, and um, yeah, we're just, we're having some really, really great conversations. I'm starting a series next week called Baggage Check, where I'll be um, interviewing some of my favorite um, content creators on the platform and have them share their stories um, in reference to their journeys of self-love and healing and happiness and, and, and spiritual restoration. So, because um, I always tell people, I, I, you know, I've been having the last couple weeks or the last week, definitely for sure. I've been asking three questions that popped up within that within the last um, span of a week. Um, the first question was on Thanksgiving, I asked people, um, do you attract broken people? And that was a great conversation. We had a lot of people participate in that. Um, and then Thursday last week, we asked, um, can you date someone with baggage? Um, and uh, that was also a great conversation. Um, so I think now, after asking people, um, if they have, if, if you can date someone with baggage, I think that what was revealed in that conversation is the fact that um, we all have baggage. <laughs> baggage is inevitable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know oh, what I'm yeah, saying? Um, and so I, I'm really trying to remove, I think that people are in love with um, this fantastical ideal of uh, someone without baggage, someone who is just completely healed. <laughs> I'm like, that concept does not exist. And if you set yourself up for looking for that, you will be alone. <laughs> yeah. um, people so are I'm looking really for that Barack Obama. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But even Barack, I'm sure Barack has his own team. I'm sure if you sit down with Michelle right now, she'll tell you. Michelle has a great podcast that I listen to. Um, she cut it short. I don't know. If, I, I don't know if she took a hiatus and just didn't tell us. The way the the way the show was set up, but if you go and look for Michelle Obama, um, mm-hmm. uh, God, look for her podcast on Spotify. It's exclusively on Spotify, but it was, it okay. was a great it was a great introspective because uh, it was relatable to you know me and my significant other, and 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 I had uh, I had a lot of fun because I was able to point out a lot of similarities my relationship and the way and, and also uh, Michelle's upbringing was very yeah. similar and so yeah she she is very um, she was very candid she was very candid I think that it's yeah. something motivational to listen to because you know <clears throat> they can say what they want to say about Bill Cosby but you can't take yeah. away the imagery that he presented to us through the Cosby show and that's something that that's something that I would definitely say about Michelle Obama. When you yeah, go and you listen right. to her and you're listening to her realness, 
about her life experiences and it's it's it's, it's very atypical for a trying well a black family that's trying to be successful that's trying yeah. to live the right way yeah you, you will definitely get something out of it and for know, sure hey that could be another one of your girlfriends I'm trying to be the male Barbara Walters of this year shindig over here. So uh, you never know. Um, but I'm just hold, I'm I'm really enjoying um, the journey to self love and 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 to spiritual restoration. Um, and I'm so excited for the future um, and what is to come because of the work that I'm doing now. Um, because I've always been a person who's understood that if you do the work now, you don't have to do it later. You can just kind of live, live off the fruits of your labor. You know, the younger you get it out the way. And so I'm, I'm only 29. You know, I'm tar- just turning 30. I'm still very young. Um, and so, and that's another thing I have to accept too. Because um, growing up, I think, especially within my, my generation, um, we think that 30 is old. We think 30 is so old. Um, and oh, so, you're, just, you're just starting now. You're just starting. Exactly. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited um, for the lessons that I've learned this year alone um, and for the progress that I've made um, on a personal level. And um, I'm so excited um, for the love and for the people and for the experiences um, that are yet to come into my life. Um, moving forward because of the faith and because of the work that I've put into motion. So um, I'm, I'm excited to continue this work, but um, also, yeah, um, the series that I have coming out, it's called Baggage Check. I'm trying to remove the, the stigma of baggage <laughs> and let people know that, listen, it's unavoidable. We all have it, you know, and I always tell people, listen, it's okay if you have baggage, just make sure you check it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah you're right. As long as you check it, right. you'll, be in good, you'll be in good space. Um, and your, and your personality is very infectious. You know, as as you know, with your style of communication, it's upbeat, it's right, and I think I think you are now drawing the right people to you. So you know, yeah. I can see nothing but 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 the best things to come. Just keep being you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah, uh, no problem, Denny. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Talking Shit podcast and share your story. Everyone has your social media to follow you. And, uh, man, I'll be checking for you. I'll be checking for your show as well. Thank you so much for having me. And um, it's been a pleasure for sure. Absolutely. And to those who are checking in, thank you for subscribing, following, and sharing. Until next time, peace. Have a good one. Hang up.